Good day, good night, good evening, good morning. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our channel. <laughs> I mean, it's been <laughs> such a long time. You don't know I who we I'm... are anymore? Uh, exactly. I don't know who we are anymore. And I feel like our fans have been disappointed that we have been away for so long. I and I'm going to blame Janina right off the bat. Just... <laughs> Oh, you're an asshole. It's what I do. <laughs> I'm just going to say it's Janina's fault. Oh, my God. Did you blame her right away? We should yes. in the middle of the show to do that. Yes. Is that a big old mug of beer or a big old mug of coffee on your picture? Coffee, motherfucker. Coffee. <laughs> Pat, it's wow. beer. Don't believe it. You know, I can see her. It's beer. Oh, my God. <laughs> I can't Last. stand anybody today. Nah, but before kidding. I go any further, let me introduce my co-hostesses with the mostesses. I am nothing without these ladies. And let me give a special shout out to Andrine from Soli Tennis Travel. She is 26 today, people. <laughs> she has just turned 26. <laughs> How are you? Wow, it's How's been that? a long time since I was 26. It's great. Ooh. I know. I suddenly have all this energy. <laughs> oh, my shit. Sister tell my, my sister tell my nephew, I am forever 27 with a few more years of experience. <laughs> 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 so when the kid tries to do the math and he's just like, wow, you had me like when you were 12? <laughs> she was just like, don't worry about that, boo. <laughs> no, the best thing about it is... is Knowing my sister, knowing that she's exactly two years older than me, and harboring the delusion that she was the wrong age until I reminded her. Oh my god, <laughs> she's like, Oh my god, I'm older than I thought. I'm like, Yes, you are. <laughs> well, that means you look good. Well, yeah, that was happening a lot. All kinds of hair. Oh, good, wonderful. Dima, Zenobia, Tony, Chad, Janina's here. Dima came out uh, of hiding. Wow! I know. Wonderful we must to have be Dima really here. special. And they Chad said, "26 is the new 18." They just want to hear but... our foolishness one more time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame them. Dima, we were on the fence, weren't we? You want to show whether you want to keep us around for 2020. <laughs> 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 we are a tricy. We are we, WTA coach. We're, we're in a trial period right about now. Well, I think so, everyone keeps us around because guess what? We're cheap. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, says happy birthday, Andre. Thank you. Thank you very much, all. December birthdays rock. They're all yeah, right. My brother is December. <laughs> he is very stubborn and very, you know, I want what I want and I want it now. <laughs> And we're so tactful. That's what we're known for. Tact. Uh, huh. Let me just say December people, they they sometimes they think they get it bad because they get a birthday and a Christmas all together and they don't get like two presents. But yeah, when you when those siblings are in December, y'all usually take all the other siblings' money. <laughs> That's <Just> true. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Let me just put that out there. So let us not forget, you know, I know Janina. You know, she's the cause of all our trouble here. Aww. But I have to introduce her. She's in Florida, Ohio. How are you doing, Janina? I'm sick, just like you. We sound amazing. You didn't Aww. have to tell them that. I thought people would think this is my They new already radio know. We sound like <laughs> shit. <laughs> I thought, honestly, I thought you all were doing sexy voice. Oh, Yvette wow. is here. <laughs> Wonderful to have Yvette here. She, happy, happy belated birthday, Andrine, Yvette said. 
Oh, so happy to have you been here. Ipe, I hope we can make we can lift your spirit today and make you feel wonderful. Uh, Yvette already knows Jamaica's in the house. Jamaica's winning things. Jamaica continues to rock. So, yep, that's it. Oh, just Miss Universe? No, Miss World. <laughs> Miss World. But you could you could claim Miss South Africa. <laughs> We're claiming all the black people. So. Because we know all of South Africa don't claim her. So, you know. Uh, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> you know, they told her to wear a wig so that Did she they, had really? a pants. Yeah. Yeah. She, <laughs> she said, was like, fuck all y'all nice. motherfuckers. She, she looks... Can I tell you though, seriously, the person who um, has given me life, Miss Nigeria is very much my sister. I'm always like, <laughs> girl, why are you always cheerleading all your friends? Like, <laughs> <laughs> gosh, Andrine. <laughs> I know, but I'm always amazed that she's so positive and upbeat for every like every job one of her actor friends get, every play. She sees everything. She's totally Miss Nigeria. We need to be that. Yeah, her sister is very much. Her sister has a huge personality. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, if they didn't look alike, if Andre and her sister didn't look alike, and her mother claimed them both in front of me, I'd have been like, I'm not so sure. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, because Andre is such a reserved person that she's shady, and she, you know. But her sister is just like loving <laughs> and out there, and she's hugging everyone. And Andre is just like, now nah, you're too close. You know away. what? You're so wrong. You're blowing up my spot right now. But the reality is, I always say that to my sister. I'm like, I have the reputation of being nice, the nice one. I really do. What? I know. I know. <laughs> what is this? Uh-uh. Anywho. I, I, I think that's a lie. I know. I know. <laughs> Andre is just trying to... You know, it's your birthday. I'll give you that as a gift, okay? It's birthday People believe Andre is a nice sibling. Ooh, Wonderful. It's my birthday weekend. But you know what? But, you know, December people, they're very, very coy. They, they're, you know, you, you can't sleep on them. So maybe that's true. No, we gotta... Maybe you know turn it up. <laughs> So, and of course, there is the homosexual podcast I am here. And like Janina pointed out, I am ill with a cold and I'm trying to fight it through. And I am dealing with the fact that I haven't been to the gym for four days. Ooh, that's like I know. homosexual years. I know. I mean, that's like two My months God. of homosexual days. You're absolutely I'm sure right. you have like 12 double chins, <laughs> lost your six pack and abs. Just, exactly. And then Pierre, I'm sure you none of your like, pants no. fit. I am you I am fat a, motherfucker. I'm trying to be a tough strap for an ATP player. Oh, I'm just letting you know that I think shut up, Chad. You should follow the advice I gave V when she was struggling and about to get sick. Gargle with tequila. Oh my god. And the sad part is that I do have tequila. I hope. <laughs> I do not. <laughs> I have like two huge reels. The gays are coming for you. <laughs> Four um, days. Oh my God! So he doesn't have friends. That's why I don't have friends. I don't have the energy chili that much. <laughs> Do you know what's so sad about that? That has to be the male gaze. Because I think let's uh, skip a gym day. And they'll be fine. <laughs> you don't understand. You know what? Y'all are crazy. Ah, yeah, I can't. But anyway, so what are we doing today? So today, fans, I know y'all have been missing us. We are going to. Ooh, we're not <laughs> going to talk about the WTA fashion at the year end in championships because Lord knows we're tired of talking we about that. Mess. We, 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 we already did. We already did. 
We did that. We, 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 you can't go back and revisit that. We already killed that. You're right. You're right. Believe it or not, we so long. I forget. I forget. I forget. It's been 80 years. Oh, Chad's at the gym right now. This motherfucker. (laughs) Oh, love it. Stick to Janina's agenda, really. Yeah. We actually have one and you're already fucking it up. So, you know what? I'm going to get us underway. I'm going to start by telling everyone that it's that time of year to go to tenniswatchers.com who has revamped the website. They look completely different than you're used to them seeing. Be sure to click that merch icon and get your 2020 tennis calendar. All photographs courtesy of Tony. Aww. Uh, it's been a wonderful edition. I'm not so sure about January. Actually, I don't know if <laughs> about January at all. I love. I already love February. I mean, <laughs> February just for me. Just for me. Oh. <laughs> Do, oh, now he says it's still under construction. You know what? You're an asshole, too. I'm going to put all y'all no. in the ass. He, all I've heard is promote my calendar, promote my website. And then it's like, you're not doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right, Janina. No, I got one of your lovely calendars, and there were a lot of wonderful pictures and less of people that I didn't like. But you know, I too do that trick that Andrean do, you know, forever keep a picture. There's a month that you love and you keep that month. Well, Tony went ahead and stopped that practice from happening because guess who's January? <laughs> Leave it out himself. So you can't you can't, you can't get rid of it. You can't even get rid of his ass. <laughs> <laughs> you have to see him for all 31 days that was of January. A trick. And then exactly. And then walk your way, do the magic from there on in. I do just want to point out because I know that some of y'all are late and slow and you like to say, I'll do it later. Don't say that you're gonna get the calendar later. It won't be available. How it's not it? always on sale. It's only for sale for a little while. There's no point in buying a calendar in June. Listen, I, I, you obviously <laughs> have not been to Marshall's. Thank I'm you. A, I believe Marshalls, but Tony, Tony yeah. is a white man in Wisconsin. He does things right, almost. All right. Except <laughs> voting, Tony. What's up with Wisconsin? I wasn't gonna take it there, but that's exactly where my mind went. I'm not saying Although Tony isn't one of them personally, but I'm man, they fucked some shit up. But more than likely, people that you know, Tony. I mean, I'm I'm glad to not be the only one in a fucked up red state. He said right. he can't afford the shipping all year long. <laughs> Charge for that shit, Tony. <laughs> well, we so, love it. It looks wonderful. I like the cover. I have yes. someone striking in red right in the cover. I, I figure out who your faves are. So I know, right? You can definitely tell the bias there. And I have to say, every year the quality gets better. I keep thinking, how are we going to get any better than the year before? Unless Tony is from a major publishing company. And then he... He steps his game up, Tony. Congrats. Well I'm loving it. Done. Everybody order your and it, and it is helpful because you know we forget what's <laughs> happening where and who's gonna be put wherever. Yeah. So thanks. It is wonderful Boo-boo. to have it. All so right. what Janine? What? You're getting us on the way since you I am gonna get out. I'm gonna get us on the way. You're the ad- agenda admiral. I'm the, I am the agenda fucking admiral, and we are on to topic number one, which is going to be a quick recap of some tennis, but not tournaments per se. Because <laughs> because it's been a long time. But Andrine, our traveling little guru, has been some places and is going to share some of the things. Andrine, take it away. Oh, so this was actually, I mean, I feel like I feel a little guilty because I really broke my um, my ritual, my ritual of going to London every year uh, for the past 
I guess, 10 years. Um, but I'll be honest, I didn't miss it. I caught it Ooh. at home. I caught it at home and I was like, okay, I'm okay with that. <laughs> 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 but I did take the time to go to the Mexico City exhibition, um, which I, I didn't realize that this was going to be like a Guinness World Record kind of thing. Right. Um, Talk about that. Yeah, that was super cool. Um, so uh, we... At the um, at the fabulous labor cup in Geneva, um, and who you all know online, and I said, "Hey, it'd be really cool to go to Mexico City. Let's think about that." And we just sort of like kept it in the background, thinking about it. And then I was like, "I booked my flight." She's like, "I booked. I put away something for my flight too." And then we just sort of <laughs> hit the ground running. <laughs> um. And um, and the whole thing happened, and it was absolutely fantastic. Now this is weird. The tennis itself, I don't think it was very good. Um, they exhausted. They looked I mean, exhausted. I, um, Zarev was serving double faults. I'm like, I guess double faults aren't really. Oh, Zarev was normal, right? Zarev was normal. Yeah, I like. I'm like, but it's Zarev like, was tired. No, Zarev was normal. He's well, serving double faults. Do you know what I mean? Because you think to yourself, <laughs> everyone says double faults are mental, and I was like, what is the mental problem here? It's an exhibition. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> but I thought, you know, but then I thought about the last tour that they did, um, that Federer did in South America, and I was like, I think it was. It's better when you have like a, um, like a team of people with you, so you can sub in. But they were consistent. They were what playing tennis like every single day for a week, and it showed <laughs> in Mexico City. <laughs> so Mexico they were they were traveling like they were in a local tour in Germany or in Switzerland. <laughs> Like we're going from Basel to to uh, Geneva, <laughs> like and then yeah, different elevations, and then different elevations, and like well, getting up too early. So I wouldn't necessarily. And then doing people. press coverage, then yeah. doing a lot of press events. Like what? But it seemed like the best thing about that was the atmosphere. Yes, I mean it looked I amazing. Yeah, like it's not. I mean, I think you know. Now, people say, obviously, Labor Cup is an exhibition, but it's very different because you have a team and people, they're fighting for something. This, to me, is like a classic exhibition. Mm-hmm. There's, not, there's no fight there. So it's, you're not going to be defined by the tennis. But I literally, I think I DM'd, I DM'd Susie, and I was like, ooh, thank God this is an exhibition because better is horrible! Uh, <laughs> like, you know, because the one thing also you appreciate about ex- exhibitions is you bring out your your trick shots, right? When everything is dialed in, sure. and like, you can get all those crazy shots, and you can set people up and set points up. That wasn't happening. So I will not say that people were showing up for the tennis. I'm not sure if that's what... but. Again, like I take it for granted. We all take it for granted that we go to tournaments throughout the year at different points in time. You all do it. I, New York, blah, blah, blah. And we can see Federer. Mm-hmm. And see someone like Azarev. I mean, Zarev, yeah, Acapulco. But when Federer said that he hadn't been to Mexico City in over 20 years. I was oh, like, wow. Oh. Oh. They all came out the fucking cracks. Do you know they? what I mean? I was like, <laughs> oh, like, that's what this is about. Like, <laughs> he said he got chills when he walked out there. Well, it was, I mean, again, it was a really amazing atmosphere. It was definitely about, I'd say, like a like a lifetime love affair kind of situation. You know, everybody knows that Federer is at the end of his career rather than at the beginning. And I think people just wanted to be able to say they had seen him live. Yeah. Um, and it was funny because right after the, right after the, um, the match, 
which was an amazing space. Uh, I mean, the bullfighting ring, I like bullfighting. I've been to them. I know it's politically not great to say that anymore, but I have enjoyed that atmosphere. So sitting in there around like 40,000 plus people, the atmosphere was just ridiculous. That's it was wild. Just, it was wild. Like it was wild that people showed up just there, but you know what? They I can't even imagine up. what that feels like. Creepy. <laughs> I mean, I think yeah. the closest thing to it is a little bit of what we experience at Labor Cup. That's what people are going for. They're going for the moment and the opportunity to see someone that they probably will not. I mean, just the nature of how we plan these things and Federer is like trapped in Dubai. <laughs> that's like, that's his contract. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I wish there was a way for us to sort the calendar in such a way that people really could rotate tournaments and you could really realistically see people. But just the nature of how people get signed up to, for tournaments, like, like we never see, Fed they never see Federer at Queens. Right. Then so whatever. So it's just, I mean, I think that's kind of sad. But anyway, um, the atmosphere was wild, similar to um, Lever Cup. Um, it was just fun to be around and have the performance. I'm sort of sad because we didn't actually see the doubles match very much. We were no. just no, Angie and I were just kind of walking around, kind of just soak up all the atmosphere mm -hmm. um, and like just check out all the things that were. It was so crowded that it was really difficult to move around. But we wanted to circle the entire stadium and just to just to get a sense of the vibe and it took a while to get around there and take sm smutty pictures i saw that picture i know and take pictures gathering <laughs> up over it uh, and drinking really good beer <laughs> and having churros which was fantastic um, that was really fun but i think the i think the thing that really expresses how important this was for, for folks was um right afterwards we wanted to get an Uber, but that was going to be impossible. So we decided to walk immediately after the show and then find a place to eat. Ugh, we picked a bad place. But anyway, we picked a place to eat and we sat in and they were showing recaps from it. And then they were doing like top 10 moments of Federer's career. Mm -hmm. And no joke, the place was packed and everyone's eyes is on the screen like just watching these moments and like reacting to them. It, it's a damn ridiculous. It's a, it's a convention, I guess, again. But it was good because um, I got a chance to spend a couple of days with Ange and that was so fun. She's, she's so lovely, <laughs> so lovely, so upbeat. I did not show her one part of my cynical ass. Um, what? <laughs> If anyone ever gets a chance a to, to meet her, you should. She's one of those people that makes you, um, you feel like you've known her forever. She's yes. genuine. She's so good at that. She's just really like really personable, engaging. And we spent a day um, at um, the, what's the museum? What's the museum that we spent today with the lady with the, who had the accident? Diego Rivera's fabulous sweetheart <laughs> but not really <laughs> um we spent a day at her um, museum and that is a freaking amazing museum they have like a courtyard in the middle and you just hang out there all day looking at art eating talking it was fantastic and so uh frida Kahlo. so yeah it was just we had a really wonderful day at the frida Kahlo museum and then we um ate all sorts of fabulous food i have to tell you guys again mexico city <laughs> Do not sleep on Mexico City. It is such a wonderful place to visit. It has a very nice, like I said before, old school vibe, but also Caribbean vibe. And I mean, your money goes far. I was fortunate enough to stay with a friend, which extended my pocketbook. So I just had to pay my flight. Um, but it was good. I mean, I, I think it was a really great experience. It was like a nice, quick trip Thursday, 
Thursday to Monday, a little bit of Federa, a little bit of Sasha thrown in, a little bit of Brian <laughs> Brothers. <laughs> Sounds like a nice weekend. It was a Sounds like a nice weekend. weekend. Yeah, a totally good trade-off of um, London. Well, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, I, I, I you guarantee to see the one that you like no matter what. No matter what. Yeah, Under I mean, a no-pressure situation. Everybody yeah, wins. Everyone's Andy, getting paid. Yeah, I mean, I think Ange enjoyed the actual moment <laughs> when we were talking a little bit um, more than I did. Because I was like, oh, this is why I don't like exhibitions. Um, there's just like no tension in it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it's I like, don't like them either. Yeah. If- well, guess what? You had you been in lost with with the Nole fam and Divinal <laughs> fam. And- yeah, at least I you're mean, there with people you like. You know, exactly. you're gonna be with everyone out there. I'm cheering your man. It's just like a it's like a federal <laughs> festival. Well, a federal. Mean, yeah, Sasha doesn't really have a huge fan base yet. I mean, Come on, but he knows he knows who to hang with. Okay, right, well, right. I mean, <laughs> I think with Sasha, it's interesting, right? Because they pay Sasha a lot of money to come to Acapulco, um, at that tournament. Like he's somebody that they they spend and think. And Sasha is quite popular with you know the youngins for sure. Yeah, he's popular, um, but when you compare the two fan bases, he's a drop in the bucket. Oh, for That's sure. what I mean. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I like Sasha just fine, but he isn't holding a flame to the Federer fan base, which is why you know it's easy. <clears throat> to feel like you're in the house of Federer if you're at an exhibition with Sasha and Federer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I again, I'm not claiming. I'm not claiming to be a lover of um, exhibitions. I don't love them, but I combined it with the chance to visit an awesome city, which is great. Um, I highly, highly, highly recommend Mexico City, but then also go to Acapulco's tournament as well. It's so close. Um, it's so close to us, and your money does go a long way there, especially for. I mean, I think the British pound as well. So <laughs> every everyone's dollar probably is pretty competitive. With yeah, them. just don't get killed. Um, I don't really <laughs> no, know. What. I, it's so interesting. Mexico scares me. People, I know people say that, but Mexico. I mean, Mexico City for me is like being in New York City. I don't feel particularly scared. I do know that Acapulco has its own challenges because there are lots of things going on there. Uh-huh. Um, but if you stay close to where the tournament is, I don't think you'll experience that be safe. Um, I think you'll feel safe. I'm I'm not one of those people that spend a lot of time thinking about listen, I feel like when I leave the United States, I'm safer. <laughs> but well, so, that's because you're black. Exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a whole nother day. And also day. I mean like gun gun violence is so prevalent in America like in every there is not you can't even breathe in a church or any place of worship anymore. You know, it's just yeah. There's no safe space. So for me, no- the dialogue around safety now is really actually um, it's it's non-existent for me because I I really do believe every time I come home in the United States, I like I I breathe a sigh of relief that there wasn't a crazy person or some not even a crazy person because that's not really what it is that somebody just just randomly take out their gun and say hey I want to pop off today. Yeah. So I don't really evaluate countries based on that anymore. <laughs> like, I feel like American. Except if it's Eastern Europe, Croatia. You know, <laughs> careful, careful. All right. Well, I'm glad that that was good. Um, I like it when Andrew travels because she sends neat stuff. And I have, um, yeah. she sent Mexican treats. Mm-hmm. And she sent a cute little ornament um, yeah. for yeah, my tree that is not up yet. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because you're like the person I know who celebrates Christmas the most in right? the most traditional way. And I was like, I'm going to get her this Christmas ornament. I so love I it. Did, Thank I you. Did, 
I stayed with my friend um, Hilda. We were on a board together. Um, and so she travels quite a bit around um, Mexico. And I was like, Hilda, I need candy that only Mexicans eat. <laughs> yeah, um, goat, goat milk candy. Because let me tell you all something. When Andrine travels, Reels is a greedy bastard. And he's like, get me this. Get me that. No. Oh, my God. You know, I no. want chocolates. <laughs> well, yeah, so and I tell everyone that. she just does. I it. tell everyone that. <laughs> I know, but you, you know do. what? I didn't go to London this year, so you know that's her fault. Sean was in London. But he didn't bring you chocolate. Ooh, he said someone at his job ate it. Oh, I'm about to come. Literally, you're blowing up people's spot. I like. <laughs> I, I will. I will say I do like shopping for people when I go on trips, but I'm a very um. I'm a very uh, conservative um, packer, so I can't. I don't usually send a ton of big things because mostly, if I want to and choose to, I can check. I cannot check my bag, so I really only carry a carry on. I'm one of those travelers, just like I think I might have to go to a pageant in the middle. Like, you know, like, and I need to get them freed up. Andrew's like, like going camping, oh, I'm going to be here for five days and I've got five dresses rolled up into these tiny little triangles and they all fit right in my purse. That's Andrew. <laughs> it is a yeah. skill I wish I had. I know. I know. However, I know it was good. I'm, taking clothes, I'm taking books because I'm going to be so bored while I'm traveling. Oh, Can I tell you all? Let's just all, let's all make a pact. Listeners as well as co-hosts. We're not reading on these trips i i don't read i packed books for jamaica what was i thinking i wasn't reading <laughs> i mean if i'm planning on just laying on a beach somewhere i'll take a book but if you're gonna be somewhere like living the the life of the people there no you should you read at home cut that shit out wheels all right moving anyway, on mexico on, yeah. city was amazing um london was a miss this year i actually missed having you there it was it was weird i've always known you to be there that always so that was really 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 odd um but sean was there so i got to live vicariously through you and that motherfucker was like oh my god rafa actually beat medvedev today and i was like because i'm like I, you're going that he was at that match i was like you know that rafa's gonna lose right and i was so ready to just rub his face in that shit even though i was happy for him you know he did travel all that way and he loves rafa for some weird reason and he got to see him win so that was good but traditionally rafa just doesn't do good there um so that happened but it was so weird to not have you there for some reason i have on our agenda that we're supposed to talk about the davis cup and and i don't know why we're well, just gonna talk about, about it no reason to talk about it not as tennis but i like i think our observation about davis cup is <clears throat> weird i know nothing well, not only did you find it weird, the people who were supposed to be supposed to cash into it and invest money found it weird as well. And they're like, nope, I'm taking my dollars and go someplace else. <laughs> so, all, all I'm going to say about Davis Cup is if Novak Djokovic took over, a t if Novak Djokovic had his really, really good friend take over a tournament, brought it to Serbia, and Serbia won that tournament, Everybody would be giving it a side eye. Similarly, <laughs> Federer. If Federer got his very wealthy friend to buy that, a that's tournament. All, that, that's all that was needed for there to be side eye in that shit. Just Federer had a friend. Just Federer and a friend. That was enough to cause a whole newspaper article to write upon that mess. 
That's all it took. I, I think Davis Cup needs to do. I mean, I think I know people. I don't really, you know. I think things change and evolve over time, and so the idea that this isn't really Davis Cup or any of those kinds of things, I'm less. I'm I'm less concerned about that aspect of it because whatever. I mean, Grant, you know, at some point in time, y'all are gonna. Who won? I don't know who won. Who won um, Davis Spaniard. Cup? The Spaniards. Oh, won. Okay. So they who played. Took- they took it to Spain and then they won in Spain. Okay, well, congratulations. <laughs> I think eventually, though, they'll all compromise and figure out that probably what they need to do for the next era is to combine Davis Cup with ATP Cup and just call it a day. Oh, people don't like change like that, man. But things change all the time. I don't, that's why I don't understand when people get mad at these things. I just think that this system, I don't know if it's, it's, it is at its best. But I think ATP Cup is kind of, it's the very same thing, isn't it? And to me, it's like... Well, there's some tweaks. They've got to probably change some of the settings so that people can actually get the right points and all of that. Right. And there's a lot of politics in this Davis Cup that I wasn't aware in in terms of like how much is being paid to people. Like if you're the first person, first single, second singles, and I thought all points were relevant. (laughs) Like not like you could be like, well, the first one up gets two point. Wait, the second one up gets one. Like, so I'm not. I'm not sure how all that politicking and that those decision making go, and that became apparent with Croatia because um, when Chilic pulled out, and I think Chorich pulled out as well. I'm not sure, but they had to call up um, Kalovic, and Kalovic was just like, "Oh, they're trying to offer me some bullshit money," and I was like, "I'm not having that." He was just like, "Nope, I'll." My my business, still my wife and kids. <laughs> so, you know, I just I'm I'm just not sure, you know, and I don't necessarily feel comfortable, particularly with this, that I think a lot of things is going on behind the scenes that where players are grumbling and they're not necessarily saying everything yeah. up front. So I'm not sure whether to say whether it's a system I hate tremendously or whether it's a system I, I like and these players find it good. But I just know that. I didn't care enough about anything to watch it. Yeah, I didn't care about it. I mean, I think it's an interesting idea to have all of those nations in a city. um, But I definitely think you have to rotate that city more frequently than you do. And I I think the timing and the placement is weird. I don't understand why you need the idea of like a final cup for the season. I mean, you could represent your country in the middle of the season. Who cares? I mean, that's the whole point of it, right? Like, I don't need you to be... Right. I mean, you're not at your best day right anyway. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, why should it be cumulative? Like, it's like... Um, so the idea of it, like, being a finals kind of cup so that people are exhausted, injured, broken up, torn up, all kinds of stuff, and doing it, I just don't think it matters. So I think they just need a... And then you put the pressure on it that, you know, you, did, you, did, you didn't save your country. <laughs> you know what I mean? Listen... Like when Personally, you... that's always what Davis Cup to me is like. I think Davis Cup is like this like masochistic kind of thing where people get to show their like allegiance to their nation. I'm like, you've been playing for your nation all year, though. I mean, like tennis is like one of those places where we really I know, know where but... people come from. Um, so, um, <laughs> but I think that you know, I think people who are reorganizing the sport are still trapped in an old bubble and like an old like colonized bubble and so i think if they just reconceptualize the value of davis cup and um they could they could probably create something really fun and really engaging for the fans um without all the angst that this one generated i mean people were like they were like not i think was novak Djokovic crying and you know i mean it's like okay Djokovic. i mean you're the 
I mean, you're the player of the decade. Do you really think that this not winning Davis Cup is? Yeah, I mean, anyone. Interesting. It's interesting. It's interesting in some sense that buy <clears throat> into that aspect of it, which I mean, it's noteworthy. I'm not particularly jingoistic, so I always find it intriguing that people take it there. So you know, but you got another chance. 2020, you can win. Hey, we'll see when it comes. Yeah, you can win a medal for your country. Oh no, that's right. Novak Djokovic. Olympics are coming up. Yeah, next year. All right. Well, that's that. Let's get on to the fun stuff. Okay. So the fun stuff. That's like emblematic of the entire decade. I have to say, (laughs) the Davis Cup debacle. It kind of is. It kind of is. But before we move on, ad break, tenniswatchers.com is offering your tennis calendar for the year. Every month features a player um, of Tony's choice. (laughs) Pictures that he took personally, and they're amazing. And every week has the start date of the tournaments throughout the all of the tour for the both ATP and the WTA, and you can get yours at tenniswatchers.com. Next up, next year, Tony, maybe you can um, put, put give us pictures and we could build our own calendar. <laughs> oh my god, look at you making requests. You are an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> you know what? I totally, we Tony and I actually talked about that one time. It's a lot yeah. of work, it's a lot of work what he does. And if people want customized, shit, it's a lot of time and money. Oh, but you no, know I what? Mean, I mean, there's some calendars that you come that have like like stickers and whatnot you can't be and you could put Oh, up but you could. You could. You could actually order it and actually pay him to do it. You could. <laughs> I'm sure. Listen, Tony is always looking to make some money. If you reach out to him privately, um, I know damn well he'd be like, yep. If you request it and you will pay for it, it will come. That, believe it. Believe it. <laughs> So it is the holiday season and we wanted to do some fun things um, for all of our listeners. Um, And the first is going to be, you know, since we don't, we don't really tend to follow the crowd, but this is the end of a decade guys. So we are infamous for our top six and we are going to share with you um, our top six moments of the decade, our top six tennis moments of the decade. Um, I have reached out to some people and asked them what theirs are, and we will share them throughout. We want you to share yours, except for Tony. Tony, don't start typing all that shit in the comments. You guys, I asked Tony, share me some moments. I had to scroll up. He sent so many. <laughs> That's great. He's a I mean, guy. I guess I said I'm gonna have to have a separate podcast just to share Tony's moments. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we'll share them. So I'm excited. Did you guys have a hard time with your lists or no? Um, I had. I think I had a hard time whittling it down. Me too. I mean, I, I had more moments than what? I thought I did. Well, I also because we also put a caveat on it, like. We wanted tennis moments that were emotional for us. Oh, Pablo, you made it. Hello. Cheerio. As fans. As fans. fans, Yeah, that made it a little bit harder because I was like, am I still emotionally connected to this moment? (laughs) I am emotionally connected to every single one of my moments. Which is very different. So it's like, it may not be emblematic of tennis, but it's emotional. Emblematic of my tennis life. Yep. So I think that's going to be fun. Who wants to go first? Reels? Well, 
I will go first. This because you lady. Um, Start with your number six moment. Okay. So, you know, I'm always extra because I'm the homeless. Yes, we know. I don't have seven things. What I do have. I mean, it's not seven. It's six. First of all. (laughs) (laughs) And who thinks you are nice? Like who? (laughs) These people. Black girl nice. That's a black girl nice. (laughs) So I thought of I thought of for me, I thought of thing that things that within this last decade that stood out for me within tennis world, not necessarily a single moment per se, like a specific match or event. Because you know I don't have any feelings, so I'm not gonna necessarily I was wondering how you were gonna deal with this request for feelings. I know it's not like I boohooed over something, right? But you know, for me, my number six. Are we doing? Is one person gonna do all the six? No, gonna just do six? do six. Only six. We've. You don't listen. You know you are going to the naughty chair. We have already talked about all of this. You are making us look well, so. Well, if someone unorthodox. had sent the email fresh off their mind, we won't be having this problem. <laughs> oh, it's just because six. somehow that email. I'm just saying, Andrine. I'm just simply saying. That email that came with the agenda didn't look like what I remember we discussed. <laughs> but, you know, I couldn't say anything. I love it. Go ahead. Tell me your six. Okay. My number six is that I felt like within this last decade, what really became a thing is the presence of, like, social media within commentary within it. And from that became the podcast. And from that became this podcast, which is the Roger Federer of all tennis podcasts. Wow. Um so I, for me, what stood out with me is just the fact that fans' interaction with tennis, because I felt that before tennis was sort of like, you could only generally interact with each other if you're on site at a specific tournament. And, you know, you can connect with fans that way. And I think within this last decade, social media has sort of changed that landscape. And you could connect with people and you could increase your fandom to Zenit level and you could even create charts and graphs and so forth. So within that, which was never a thing before. <laughs> so, um, I, for me, that's sort of this decade is like coming together, talking to fans and, you know, seeing other things. And sometimes you don't like the same people. Sometimes you love the same people. And this podcast, which is the best thing of this decade. Oh, my God. Um, I don't know about that, but um, <laughs> it is. Oh, that's interesting. So, so do you have a feeling about that, Reels? Um, it's a good feeling because I mean, I get to stay in contact with you two lovely ladies, <laughs> and you know all the people that we've touched and talked to. And I mean, like sometimes when I when I rarely it rarely happens, but when I do meet fans, um, of the podcast, I shouldn't say like fans like they're cheering me specifically, like I'm a celebrity. But I realize the impact it has. They're all excited and they're like, oh my God, I'm meeting someone and it's really exciting. And I enjoy when we have a podcast, specifically when it's live. So I have to say, you know, saying I can't be drinking cocktails, Pablo, because I am ill. And I don't <laughs> want to fuck up my body because I haven't been to the gym in four days. <laughs> so yeah, so for me, it is a wonderful. This is one of the great things. And with the good, you have to take the bad sometimes. So that's, that's fair. <laughs> but. So, um, so for my top six, obviously, I've got solely tennis travel in my title. So oh. there are parts of it that are connect. Most of my top sixes are things I've seen and had an emotional reaction while I was there, um, which I have to say is um, 
it's one of the best things about live tennis. Like if I was only in contrast to what you're saying, Reels, if I was only experiencing tennis tennis through social media, <laughs> through mediated experience. It's really annoying. <laughs> well, yes, you have to take the good with the bad sometimes, but it, it is good when it's good. It's increasingly annoying. I have to say, because at the start of the decade, I actually really enjoyed most players and fans and stuff like that. But as the decade has gone along and people have like, it's similar to any other parts of life. As people have staked out camps, it's gotten less and less fun, right? Um, so, um, but anyway, so for my top six, it's like emotional reactions that I've had watching live tennis and things that really stood out for me, good and bad. And so for me, it, that moment, I was there at the U.S. Open in 2011 mm. to watch the <laughs> match. No, to watch. This was just a really heroic and fun match live. And I didn't expect it. It was, um. It was a Monfils versus Ferrero match. And it was more like, and it's so funny because I was just reflecting on that time. And that was in 2011, people thought Monfils was close to winning a slam, that he could win a slam. I still feel that way. You know what I mean? Some people sometimes feel that way. I feel like it's less and less the case. But I think that back then we were still talking about Monfils as someone who had a possibility of winning a slam. And he faced Ferrero in the second round. Um, and Monfils was top seven at that time. And that match just came out of nowhere. It was five sets and it was such a thrilling experience to have because it's like, we, I think, I think Ferrer might've, Ferrero might've retired like the next year, but it was one of those epic moments where um, both players were fully invested and Ferrero was able to summon some of his best tennis and Monfils fought and played really, really great tennis. Um, and Ferrero, I think, saved two match points. No, 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 that's another one. But, like, it was an amazing match. And Monfils looked great. That was when Monfils had that really gorgeous green and yellow top. And his hair was still in, like, the um, the mini dreads. And that's where he, I think he, had, I think he might have played Grigor at one point in time. And they had that weird miss kiss. At the <laughs> but that was like one of my that was one of those weird moments. for who though weird huh. for who huh weird for that weird miss kiss was it weird for Monfils I think it was weird for I both was... of them it was one of those things <laughs> that I think they were both go, you know Monfils was going in for the double kiss then it was like a slip and it was like hello we're almost kissing it was all weird that's like one of those gifts of the decade probably but that oh. is that's one of my most sort of like emotionally satisfying match where you sit and you watch the whole thing and you don't move that just love that's one of those like great things that you can have when you go to a live tennis match is you unintentionally sit there and you're like, wait a minute, I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to move around the grounds. This is captivating. And I think it was on Armstrong. And so, you know, if I'm, if I left, I would have lost my seat. So <laughs> <laughs> I didn't leave. And that was just, I mean, that was one of those moments. I love both of those players. And it was sad to see Ferrero kind of like coming to the end. But then it was also Monfils is like, oh my God, maybe he's going to show his possibility. No, he is not. <laughs> um, that would that would basically set us up for the rest of the decade. <laughs> yep. Well, yeah, you sure did. All right. <laughs> so my number six moment comes from the year 2011 and it was my first live tennis experience. Um, 
I vividly remember um, the excitement of even knowing that I could go. I, I always felt like live tennis was out of reach, that I couldn't afford it. Um, I didn't know where to find it, really. I always, it, I've loved it since I was a little girl, but it just seemed so far away. Um, and when I finally found someone to go with me, um, many wow. of you have met Jason's cousin, Terry, wow. who's no longer with us. And we went and we were like, you know what, we're going to do this. And it was so random how it happened. I mean, of course, that's my family, but... Jason and I were out to dinner one night or out for drinks and Terry was there with a friend. And I just had this feeling like I bet Terry would go with me because he was a sports nut. And so I said, Hey, do you want to go to see tennis with me in Cincinnati in August? And he was like, tennis, what do I want to go watch tennis for? And I'm like, it'll be fun. And you love to take pictures and they'll let you take your camera. He's like, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly how it went that's all it took and it just started this tradition for us and it was so i was so emotional when i got there like it just felt good i i was on twitter at the time but i didn't meet anybody i didn't want to meet anybody i just wanted to soak in every second because i truly couldn't believe that i was there it was like it was like a i made it moment and i was just so happy and I, I was, it was definitely the highlight, one of the highlights um, of my tennis decade, of my tennis life, really. That's amazing. I can't believe it's not higher, Janina. I have so many. <laughs> I really do. I mean, I, because I was trying to go back and forth between, you know, like yeah. <clears throat> moments um, of how I was feeling and then of, of something that actually happened, but at, you'll see at the end, really, it was it's all my emotion. <laughs> it really is. My list is all my emotion. I'm so happy you had that. That was so cool to talk. It was to amazing. The planning of it and hearing you plan it and then knowing it was going to happen. It's yes. Andrine encouraged me so much because I really didn't think, do you remember? I didn't think I could go. No, I was like, I don't sure. know if I can yes. do this. I, don't, I felt like it was going to be so expensive and I was like, <laughs> Okay. Oh my God. I can I do this. I was like, absolutely not, girl. You're going to do this. It was. Yeah. Oh, I'm so and happy. think of what I paid for it then as opposed now. Jesus. I know. That's a whole nother day. Had you known you would have bought like 10 years worth of tickets. And be like, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> true, <You> true. <laughs> can I lock? Can I have. Can I have a um, a rain check for next year's ticket right now? Like, I, I mean, can I lock in these I, prices? Listen, I remember getting a, an an online like a Priceline type deal at a hotel that was literally five minutes away by car from the tournament for thirty six dollars a night. Oh God, that's so great! Oh, yes, listen, that's before the it year, all. That was the year. That was the first year that it was a combined event between the ATP and WTA, and most of the people that showed up didn't even realize it was like a huge surprise for everyone there wasn't a huge it, maybe there was a huge announcement about it in the tennis world but there wasn't a huge tennis world i mean it's so much bigger now we know about every little thing that happens now but back then i i remember people going oh my gosh i didn't know the men and the women were going to be here and it being like such a treat for people yeah i mean i think to reels his point about the social media piece. I mean, that, that was still early on before it feels like you knew all the little nuggets of everybody's yep. life. Mm -hmm. For sure. 
<laughs> so that was that. That's my number six. What's your number five reels? Wait, anybody want to share a number six? Should we share someone? Did you guys get any from anyone? I did. What'd you get? Share someone's. I got, of course, our favorite Deb. (laughs) (laughs) It's an all federal feelings list, isn't it? (laughs) I know. So um, I I have a little note from Deb. She says, obviously, AO 2017 is up there as the most emotional moment. I can recall every moment of that final, not just because I've watched it so many times. However, I'm going to focus on a moment that you witnessed live, and that's the Davis Cup win for the Swiss. I wasn't even watching but following scores because I was driving to an event. When I saw Fed had clinched it for the Switzerlands, I was really overwhelmed. (laughs) Never cared about DC, but the lack of a championship for Fed was always used as a knock against him. Given the lack of depth in the country, I figured he'd never achieve it. Then the back issue when he was so close. I sat in my car looking at my phone and was just so happy for Roger and the team. That was such an emotional moment, maybe because of the adversity Fed had to overcome. When I saw your pictures, I cried all over again. (laughs) Oh, look at that. You people really have feelings. Oh my god! Everyone does. You do too. You just don't want anyone to know you little fuck. I mean, like, I would have... I could have done this if I had feelings, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. But, but I, I tell you what my number five is, is some of the feelings. And fans, don't be afraid to share some of it. I know we didn't ask you for like a list because we wanted to keep it a secret. Um, I know, Pablo, I don't think they were tonguing in the locker room. Murphy <laughs> and Gregor. I don't think so. And I, I will I will I will also say that um yeah, I think there was a question. Um I think that was actually <laughs> Someone asked the question about is that the one where they almost kissed? Yes, that was mad. <laughs> <laughs> but my number five is a chestnut. It never gets old. I love this song. It is seeing Serena continue to beat Maria's ass. It is just <laughs> my favorite, one of my favorite songs. Remember when we were 12 years of slave? <laughs> <laughs> now, y'all know I'm not at Serena's dad, but. Let me tell you something. Serena plays some of the best tennis. I mean, when she, she, she Vika gives her a run for her money, but Serena only gets to play top-notch tennis Vika in the latter half of the match, right? Mm-hmm. When right, Vika, right, right. Vika does her best and then Serena, Serena comes out and then Vika goes up and then Serena be like, bitch, no, we're tired of this match. And then you have to wait for that. That's a slow burn, right? <laughs> And Serena giving her fans, you know, Ajada and, you know, whatever the case may be. But Serena versus Maria. I know tennis pundit love it and they think, but we all know. The true fans know we're going to see a tennis clinic. I know Andrine hates the beat down. What's interesting is cool. But let me tell you something. The forehand never works any better. The (laughs) backhand, the volley. I mean, every, I mean, every coach. This is why her father don't even watch the match. He's just like. (laughs) Everything I said is right there. <laughs> Everything. I mean, from two. I mean, we don't even have to go back to 2007 beatdown in Aussie Open. We can go to Olympics. Let me tell you something. When at Olympics, I was feeling so good, and I feel bad because I made federal loss. In my mind, I made federal loss to Andy because I was having to look too good a time on the Saturday. <laughs> because when I saw that wind blow against at the Olympics, I was like, ooh. It's going to be something out here. It's going to be something. And my favorite moment precisely in that Olympic final was when Maria had two game points, I think it was, to at least get one game in the opening set. And Serena said, no, 
bitch you're gonna eat this bitch. You're gonna eat this bagel today. You're gonna eat it. No questions. We're not gonna hear anything. Period. You're gonna eat all of this bagel. And she she snatched that game right out of her hand. And you know, so Maria was all pumped up for that game point. She was just like, yes, you know, she be able to extra. And Serena was just like, not you see, today, Satan. Not today, Satan. I was trying to be nice. And then you're gonna ruin it. So that, that moment, and then it got even better. Um, if that wasn't even good enough in Miami, I think the next year, 2013, Serena won 10 straight games. I mean, yeah, Maria was up a was up a set and a break. This was the moment. She was this finally going to get a win, like, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> Serena, Serena's going to lose this match to Maria. And then Serena came out in her white. She was clean. In the, she didn't have a business. But this is how Serena is so good for Maria. She don't even need a business bun. The hair is all over the place. And that has remained a true. That is I mean, no, lots of things have changed in the decade, right? We know that, lots. Of that's an changed. enduring tale of that decade. But that is, I mean, that is. So, Serena stands. If y'all want that fire sale in slams to be ended, find some way of getting Martha in the finals. Y'all would have to endure all right? of that press bullshit about Maria is back and whatever the case may be. But get Martha in the finals, and then all Venus. Oh, I don't want Venus in those kind of fighters. <laughs> I um I had asked Maya about her favorite moments reels, and that was one of them too. She was like, "Oh my god, that <laughs> that Maria Sharapova, um, Serena Williams beat down at the Olympics." She was like, "Oh, that was." She was like, it "In was, the crip walk." <laughs> <laughs> it was um the Norbert in Miami. It was six. Maria was up six four four two, <laughs> I think it was, and then ten straight games to Scott. Out of my hands, it was just like, oh, uh, it was um three two, I think, or something along those lines. But yes, that's an enduring tale, and it's true and sexy. And I think last earlier this year, true that it is a song that keeps on. I mean, it, it still works in 2019. <laughs> it's still a hit. It's still a hit. <laughs> hey, you are correct. <laughs> <laughs> and I would say in caveat to that, just just in the final note. I found it really disingenuous that I saw, I didn't really check out other people's top 10, whatever, but the te- tennis player of the decade, I saw them putting Martha on that shit. She was, I was number like, 10. Oh, huh? Lord. And I think it was. I'm was just it like, when wow. she got busted doping? Because that was Pablo's number five. I, <laughs> <laughs> listen, that was... Well, that moment, I, mean, I didn't even, even want to throw that in. That moment that wasn't Maria on my was list. Came out, they being on, she was like, she was basically an ex woman. <laughs> that moment wasn't on my list, her getting caught doping, but that podcast was because you know what? We fucking rocked that <laughs> shit out. I don't, nobody can talk to us about that. Nobody, because nobody <laughs> put in the work that we put in to cover that shit, and we rocked it. I think that was a special mention. My special mention, it didn't make my top six, was the POVA press conference and the non-reaction from the media about that doping offense. I mean, and now that I think about, I mean, when you think about it, that was the start of so many non-reactions from, I have to say, like mainstream media for, for people who really did egregious things. Like I just I, I keep imagining how someone would have treated us 
a Serena doping offense. Oh my God. I mean, because the amount of people who both sides it, like this is not, everybody was like, oh no, this is not really a drug that people use for that. I saw so many people try to like make that argument. I'm like, listen, it doesn't matter how effective or Like why would she be doping? She's an athlete. (laughs) If she's a good athlete, I was just like, she's doping because she wants to be a better athlete. Right. Yeah. I mean, whether it was, um, whether, whether it's real or not, the assumption she's taking it with the assumption that it's going to improve her performance. That's the intention. So, and, and the quibbling about whether all the Russian athletes who took it mysteriously for whatever reasons, like, I just, I thought that the way that the media covered Martha's doping offense was I, I, stunning. But now that I'm looking at the way they cover the president, it's not that stark. <laughs> You know my statement, Don't right? You know my statement, right? Tennis, tennis always provide a microcosm of what's happening in the wider did. world. It did because the lack of um the lack of real the, the lack of real real she she suffered no real consequences. Not in the way that you really expect someone to suffer consequences in terms of material loss, loss of loss of money, loss of documentary. Well, but beyond the that, people, were offering her, people offered her an award. Billie Jean King was wanting to talk to her about like bringing her. I mean, I just thought it was just I could just not imagine any star black athlete even having a whiff of something that right. people as off. You are correct. But she was caught doping, had to have a press conference. And the, I think the thing that most people spent time talking about was her dismissing the carpet at the press conference. Um, <laughs> I just, I thought that that was wonderful. He wanted to give me four she years, was really Charlie, dismissing them. Four years. She was really dismissing them who were present. <laughs> and everybody from the WTA, everybody contributed they, to that they, whole they, mess. They it. were, I, I, to be honest, that was, and I have to say that was a turning point for me. It's weird that it didn't make my list because I'm so emotional right now. But it, it was it was an intellectual betrayal. So mm-hmm. it didn't really rise to the top of my six, but it was more of an intellectual betrayal because of the way people who cast themselves as thoughtful analyzers of the game refused to offer up consequences for Maria. And I was like, then and even today, and today, and the today, same they thing. talk about it like it's a vacation. And then they continue to put her amongst her rival. I'm like, we go, we we gonna talk about those slams, right? Because those slams aren't real. I don't care what you say. So you, you know who's the top rank, you know who's the top rank Russian, right? <laughs> Pavlyuchenkova. <laughs> Pavlyuchenkova is the top rank Russian female Russian today. <laughs> and Maria isn't even in the top six. She isn't in the top hundred. I mean, and we but haven't yeah. ever talked about the fact that upon her return, she has continued to fail. I mean, imagine how much they would be mocking any of our faves if that was really what was happening upon a return from a doping suspension right like she has not reached the i level. mean we were the core anyway. i mean people would have already made the conclusion right off the bat but here we are playing three-dimensional chess we don't know how to get to the point by saying oh she was really doping no <laughs> i mean they can't they can't even deal with it they can't even deal with it because for that so- doping was the effect and that is to say and what we need to also ask the question is just like what else was she on that they weren't testing for? I know. Let, listen, it wasn't listed. All uh, okay, we can't but okay. do that. But like okay, I said, my song it. continues to play, and it's a hit. So let me ask you. Go. I think Janina mentioned. Janina, did, that made um our our Pova podcast made your list. Which one? 
what was it? It didn't make the list, oh, but okay. it was it was the it was definitely. I mean, we in have my to pat head. ourselves on the back because yeah, yeah I mean, what happened like I said, that was a good one. This is why it's number six on my decade of tennis. <laughs> the real tennis podcast is a federer of podcasts. We do the work. We're we just that good. I don't think anybody realizes how much work we put into that. I mean, because I know a lot of times we're like, okay, we're going to podcast today. And we sit down and we just talk because that's what we like to do. But we put in a lot, a lot of work for that podcast. And I and we that's covered why it. Come at us because every time someone right. raises a point, I'm always like, <laughs> read all the doc, y'all, man. Every, every single fucking page. That's, that's remember, wait, remember what, remember, remember part of the doc when Pova changes her doses based on who she's. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Which, which, which she called, which she called the important, the important matches. Effort, I took a little extra. And, listen, and what was so hilarious about it? It was that the uh because they was they were watching her all the time, right? Yep. All of the tests that they were doing, they showed that these were really important matches. I know. <laughs> so uh, onwards, she was up in the dose. She had to face Serena, who oh, was down in the bottle. Yeah. So they couldn't right. even let me tell you then her good. urine at the Australian Open was neon green. It was radioactive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they could smell the melodonium in the I mean, come at me. I mean, babe, I mean, who knew? Out of all the detractors and people, the, the solid bit about arguments that I don't, it's just like, let me hear your souls, people. I don't hear your souls. I hear you flapping your gums, but you're not, <laughs> not bringing any souls. And I had the documents. I read the documents, highlighted, underlined. <laughs> I mean, let me just. That initial document, that listen yeah, to me, it was we could have all been fired from, from printing well, that shit off at work. Let's be honest, <laughs> I think at the end of the day, though, the final confirmation is the banning of all the Russian athletes or the Russian Federation, at least from the Olympics. But you know, the, okay. the ITF just okay. just recently, within the last week, released a statement to that reassure everyone. You know what ITF also didn't do? You know what ITF also cannot do? ITF cannot show me test results. So what ITF is doing is telling these Russian boys, do not piss dirty. Get your shit clean. <laughs> Because we won't be responsible for testing you. They would. Mm. They're going to come for your you. All right. Andrew, what's your number five? Okay, my my number five is a little bit of a mixed bag and somewhat related. Um, Because, I mean, personally, I wrote about it. Uh, So it was Serena's return to Indian Wells. Oh, you share that with Tony. That was on his list as well. Um, I And the politics and the optics of that return in 2015. Again, this was a more of a disappointing feeling. Um, I just, so I was there, I was covering the tournament and I, you know, I was sitting there looking at the reaction and I, again, like no institutional ownership of what went down. That was my biggest problem with that moment is that it was all a personal journey for Serena and her family Uh about the return to Indian Wells and Venus of obviously the year following. And I just think it was so, um, it's so emblematic of how Black Americans have to deal with situations. Like we have to take our, we have to take personal responsibility for how we felt about an institutional failure and the institution never has to. 
Right. Right. Because at no point in time was there really ever issued an apology. And how many times did we hear, oh, look, Serena grew up. She grew. She grew up. I mean, and she I thought, grew up. I, but I thought it was Fuck really you. important, right? Because it was like she grew up to understand that we have the right to treat how her, however we deem appropriate. And she just has to figure out how to deal with it and take it. She has to get over it. She has to get over it, not us. And our institution doesn't have to sort of um, hone any culpability at all for it. And so that was um, that was a sort of related live experience of sitting there and really having this be only about Serena, Serena's change and maturation, which basically is just she's matured enough to understand how to deal with us when we reject. Um, and when and we just, and just shut up and take that check. Take that check, right? <laughs> if you can stand um, to hear Real's voice by himself, yeah, the very I mean, first I, podcast I dealt with that subject, and yeah. Angela has gone back and forth. I have some very particular feelings about this, and I agree with you one hundred percent on this point. Point that put me at odds with tennis. That's because, a tennis failure. That's, that yeah, was a tennis mainstream media failure for me. Um. Which is why the shine sort of fell off for me about covering tournaments or any of that kind of stuff. Because I just, I think you have to, I think as an institution, tennis, I mean, you had the number one American player not play one of your most important tournaments for seasons. <laughs> and and listen, I like Indian Wells as a tournament. I, I've, that's one of the first few tournaments I went to live. I've, I've enjoyed the experience. But the politics of it has gotten even more and more egregious as time has gone on. And so... The, her return could have signaled something else. Um, but I just didn't think the tournament handled it well. I thought it was nice that Serena connected it to the EJI, you know, the Equal Justice Institute and did some things around that. But even that didn't get much thrift. Because again, I don't think the tournament was willing to own up to the structural racism that was at play there. And the way that they basically, again, really challenged the family's... Um, honor really because that's what it was about it was in people's minds it played as if the family had set this thing in motion right yeah so um yeah so i think then they couldn't actually really deal with the eji initiative right because if they did they would have had a sort of come to jesus moment and they would have said yes we're part of the structural issues and blah 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 they could have had a really transformative moment but it really wasn't so i thought that that was a real institutional failure um on the media side again <laughs> So that, and I think emblematic of, I think, uh, just the way the decade continues. Um, so Indian Wells. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Pablo's like, I hate Indian I Wells. Just add, I just want to add to that because it's such a pivotal moment that specifically to Serena, it launched her as a marketable yeah it was a part of her white audience it was a part white of her rebranding i mean for, for main street madison avenue i should say okay so that she ooh, real, got rebranded reels is telling on us but that is the backstory for us about indian wells is that this was a moment that i think it did allow serena to become someone that you're right that they can say she's now someone that we can support because actually you're right post that return she's a poster child Mm -hmm. Right. And also probably and them, and she, with the fact that Mar Martha had to dip in 2016 in her doping. So that they right. had to find something. Well, uh, well, I, I think people in the know knew Martha was coming up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> because <laughs> that document said <laughs> we were all looking at her. 
Because let me tell you something. That document had blood samples from 2012. Okay. Mm, Interesting. Interesting. But so they they had the melatonin. But I would say that it really, and for me, it it allowed, I don't know what decision Serena made because you mentioned equal justice, but Serena just pointed to them and never collaborated. She never really did what. I think right. She she wasn't she she, she didn't yeah. connect with them. I should say rather, you know, there wasn't a equal justice sitting next to Serena. Yeah, she was just Serena. Just said, go to those people if you want to have a talk about this. But it allowed Madison Avenue to know that if there's any sketchy racist situation that will come about because we know it will come out, that we now have a path and a direction and someone we can go through, um, in order to make it right with more money. It's a good point. That she's willing to accept more money or whatever the case may be. Because all of a sudden, Serena's getting magazine covers and mainstream, which she didn't. And white women were embracing her, which they never did. You know? It helped that Pova was doping. It helped because Pova doped. Pova doped. um, Serena returned in March of 2015, and Pova's doping came in March of 2016. So right. that actually really then allowed Serena to then leverage that forgiveness narrative. And I mean, now Serena is really the queen of like mommy, you know. Because she, and she was also doing exceptionally physical things, right? Yeah. She was, she, yeah. her tennis 2013, 14, <clears throat> 15 was exceptional. Yeah. Right? So she was like, so you could expect, so she was. So she had to do all of those things. Meanwhile, they were throwing out all that money at Pova when she just won one major. Right. <laughs> you know? Oh my God, I'll hail the queen. She has one major. I mean, yeah. it's, it's like Andy Murray, the Pova of... Well... Anyway, anyway. Yeah. So, um, but yes, yeah, so those, uh, those connections are really interesting. They are. As Tony says, yeah, I guess that you're right. In terms of Serena's performance, it was excellent. She had the Serena slam and then nearly the calendar slam that year. So, I mean, I think actually it was really great that she made that forgiveness piece because I think, I mean, the moneyed people who attend Indian Wells, that's a huge signal for them that it's now okay for us to honor this athlete. She's now she's now uncomplicated it for us. <laughs> <laughs> Right. We can just right. navigate around that. Okay. So I actually realized that now that I'm looking at this and you were like, oh my God, I can't believe that wasn't your first one. I put my list in order of years. <laughs> okay. Good That's deal. what happened. Except I put one in the middle and this should have been my first one. So I'm going to say it now. <laughs> um, one of my most favorite memories from the decades, this past decade, is the 2010 French Open. Mm-hmm. Um, when Francesca hey. Schiavone won, yes, um, that was one of the first times ever that I watched a player move through a tournament. Um, they didn't know that well, and just sheerly enjoyed. I had no reason to cheer for this for her other than I liked watching her play, mm-hmm. and she was such an underdog, and it was so fun. And my now almost 12-year-old son was two at the time. And I can remember being in the living room and she was on TV and he was sitting in one of those little round things that you jump. And he's jumping with Franny going, Aki, Aki. <laughs> and I'm like, 
<laughs> Wait a minute. What is that noise? Because that's not the TV. And it was Micah. <laughs> I will never forget that. It was like, well, I was like, yes, I have birthed a tennis fan, you know? <laughs> it was great. It was so great. So, I mean, so that it was, it was fun to just watch her. It was a sheer unexpected joy to watch her win that title and it was a fun mommy moment for me i felt like i was doing something right <laughs> finally right no friend can do it some of your love friend let me just say i know you're battling cancer but keep your drugs away from sarah rani okay she might please, not rush it over please. Please. Ah! Yeah. So. that's so a great tennis moment so we are at number four and we're back to no, oh no, wait, no, let's this, share a moment. Do you have no, any moments to share? share number five. Yes, she shared, she yeah. just shared her number five. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we'll share a moment that we got from um someone else. I reached out to Sean and um I did ask him to come on, but that motherfucker had tickets to the nutcracker today, oh, that's, the that's New York City anything. Ballet. <laughs> so somehow that ranks higher than us. I'm not sure why. <laughs> but um he's the first thing he said when i said tell me some of your favorite tennis moments you know last decade he said well it's not a good one and i had some of those things too like you know just because it's a moment that you remember doesn't mean it was pleasant right Mm -hmm. and he said i'm still recovering from serena's lost da vinci at that u.s open (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? I feel like a lot of people feel that way. That was that was the beginning of a finals loss. You know, I was there. Andrina and I was there. And that was a... I felt that was one of those interesting things for me. Because for me, being in that stadium, I felt like one of those things. Like if I become a celebrity... <laughs> I have to realize if I just happen to be, I don't think I would be that I have to be very careful that fans aren't necessarily cheering for me. They're cheering for themselves and their feelings because no one cared about Serena. They cared about Serena <laughs> winning the slam and being part of that moment. They didn't care about the pressure that was on her. They buy into that bullshit that, you know, um, Billie Jean's precious privilege. Pressure can kill you, bitch. It can kill you. It can be too much. So uh, for me, that was a strange moment because I felt that Serena realized that she was a commodity and not a person. Because everyone, the pressure in that stadium was so intense for that match that, you know, Vinci just, Vinci, you know, and it got to Serena. And Serena realized she was human and that no one really cared about her being human. It just they were frustrated at her that she wasn't giving them the thing that they wanted. And Serena had already proved to prove for them to say that Serena is the best when Serena had already proved herself the best ages and ages ago and every so many times. But you know, that's that. Um, I think that made one of my moments. Um, similarly, um I'm only because it brought up, so I guess may as well say it's one of my moments. It, it, yeah, we were there together, and the atmosphere was so weird. It was it was very heavy, um, and partially because it became very clear in the moment that she just was not 
playing well. Like the only thing that's comparable to that for me live was watching her play Simona Halep. Is like there's no Serena there. Like the movement's gone. And then the audience itself, I think they themselves felt that the moment wasn't going to come together right. Right. And so <laughs> it was really flat. It was really a flat moment. And it was like watching a funeral. Like, you know, like I don't, <laughs> I don't, I mean, so it's like, it's a weird thing, you know? Um, and so it's strange for people to characterize that even as like a match. I think somebody put it as the match of the decade. It just wasn't that because like the audience wasn't in it right and the the mood it's like you're watching a player not play. Yeah, because it was it, it a rain had messed up the schedule, right? It yeah. wasn't supposed to be at that time. So it just it was, yeah, like it was not a great it was very muggy and um and the audience was just very disagreeable. I mean I think <laughs> I watched it live. I I it was yeah, it was just. Well, a weird... I don't remember. I feel like I didn't watch it live, but it was on over and over and over all day because there had been a lot of rain, and they just yeah. kept showing it and, and it showing over. it and showing well, the, it. And the only thing that was comparable to something else that I saw live, and for a player who just couldn't get their game going, was like the Federer versus Chillage in 2014. After that Monfils match, like the person is not playing. Like. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, her game was going, you know. I mean, Serena was, she won the first set quite relatively easy. But then the second think, set, it was. Yeah, I think when she was up a break at one point, and then she just saw the finish line was right there. It was weird. And it, it was weird because, I mean, we know Simona wasn't going to do anything against um, Panetta. Panetta already handled that. So it was just like, this was. But, and you know, it was what was so strange after that match ended, you know, I got to be in the back area and seeing, I mean, people just, no one, the pundits, right? No one recognized the moment and the pressure on Serena. They were just like, oh, well, basically, they actually were just like, oh, the fucker failed, whatever. She's so rude. She didn't give us a moment. Yeah. She just left right out of hand. Like, she just ran out of hand how disrespectful it was. And she needed to give me a, a million hour interview. I just like, the fuck is all of this? Like, what's wrong with you people? You see, and that was just like, my God, like, no one recognized this woman's humanity. No one recognized the pressure and all of this thing on this person. And y'all needed this for Serena to Serena to prove herself? Well, that Serena's she was always going to have to prove herself every time. Like, it's not like, enough that wow. she's done it all. I mean, look. They'll have to. <laughs> I mean, at that point, Federer hadn't won a, a major for three years. And people still calling him the greatest. You know what I mean? Like he didn't need to do. You, you, it, it was different. Yeah, it's so completely different. Yeah, and I just thought it was just like, I, I mean, I, I would be curious if one of these days I would really love if she, because I don't know if she necessarily give honest interviews. No, no. But I would love for one of these days, and I don't want a book either, at least not now, because we know well, like books when they're late. You cannot, if you are a black athlete, you cannot give honest interviews. Especially in a white sport. Well, you know what, Serena, call me girl. <laughs> I, would, I, I would just tell my two homegirls here, Andrine and Janina. But you know, let's have an honest tete-a-tete. You know what I mean? I could fix those eyebrows for you at some. Oh, you know what I mean? here we go. Here we go. <laughs> that might be a moment of the decade. Serena's eyebrows. Oh. Um. Anyways, reels. Calling your... me out for calling her out. <laughs> What's your next moment, reels? Okay. My moment, so you know, okay, 
I didn't completely fuck up the assignment. I have a very specific moment. Uh-huh. Okay. It's 2009, which is the very beginning of the decade. Wimbledon men's final. So the men's women's final has already been sucked for me because Serena beat Venus. And that's a shit show. We don't count those matches. But in the men's final, Andy Roddick came to motherfucking play. Oh, Andy that was Roddick and Federer? Federer? Yes. That was a I, I know we're going to talk about the 2008 That match was shit. I don't know how y'all even saw that match. But anyway. Which one are you talking about? Are you talking about 2009 Wimbledon? Yes. 2009 Wimbledon. Oh, wait. That is we we can include 2009? <laughs> it's a decade, no? Oh, I'm sorry. But anyway. Anyway. See, you did fuck up the assignment. This is the kind of person I am. Anyway. <laughs> 10 years. 10 years. Okay. But anyway. It's fine. I, I, I actually I'm, considered I'm it, and then I decided it wasn't part of the assignment. I considered I'm that match. Get to the point. I'm <laughs> and, Tony's, and Tony's calling you on it again, two reels. Wait, 2009 is that? That is the last Wait, 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 wait. I'm going to get to the point. No, okay? go for it. In 2009, Andy Murray came. Andy Raddick, sorry. Sorry, and Raddick. I never want to confuse you with Murray. Um, Andy Roddick came to play. He had lost what two Wimbledon finals, poor thing. Federer already back to back. Federer had cop blocked him mercilessly at the Australian Open. I mean, and plus he had snatched away at US Open um, a couple times and also finals from him, right? Yep. This was the thing that he got his weight together, he was together, yes, all together, and he weight. laid it all yes. on the line. Everything. And the unfortunate thing was that he didn't serve first in the fifth set. He did. <laughs> and that sucked it up. The next year, 2010, he bounced <coughs> out in the first round to a Chinese Taipei player, I think it is. He's cute. Forget his name. I don't want to fuck up his name, so I don't want to say his name. But um, he, I think he lost in the first round. Exited. And that, that moment, we would not have started, but that moment basically signaled the decline of American men in tennis. Oh, well, yeah, and you're right. But this whole decade, there has not been any prominent American man of work, particularly of substance. I'm going to say it all day. I'm going to say it. I mean, in the past, substance didn't matter. But now in the age of social media, substance matter. When we peel away this thin veneer that is there, there's nothing there for most of these American players. They neither have game, they don't have personality. I'm sorry, Chad. I know you're going to come for me and your boy, Francis Tiafu, but that's a special case, okay? Tiafu, you got tenacity, you got Instagram looks, but you know, he really got tennis. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, for the past decade, these American men have not been showing up. Those who do show up, they come up with the same bullshit, full hand on a serve. And I don't know which tennis they've been watching because the code ain't built for that shit. The code hasn't been built for that shit for the last decade. And we could probably include that in this moment about the decline of the slowing down of the courts for the last decade. But that basically signaled Andy Roddick was the last great American man in this. Who could have believed that? that That's true. I mean, he was the last American man that was ranked number one, isn't he? Yes, uh, anywhere close to being number one. He's the only one who got to a major final. We haven't had another number one male from America since Roddick, I'm pretty sure. I don't think so. Right. Uh, even from the Americas, period. <laughs> um, so, so bring Roddick back. Everybody else is coming out. So your point is, 
So your point is basically the 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 death of the American male tennis player. Yes, and I mean <laughs> for the decade signaling the death decade. of the decade. Because I mean, the I mean, dominance. I mean, let's be honest. Let's be honest. I mean, America had an excesses of riches in the yeah. prior. I mean, like, you could you didn't know who to pick for a Davis Cup team, and it didn't even matter. Yeah, right. You could have so many options, and I mean, we're bombarded by you know constantly told you know what I mean like. John McEnroe and all these people, whatever kiss me. But none, I mean, there is none of these men look solid or even promise it. That's just it. Like we can't even look back and be like, oh my God, I'm excited to see somebody coming up or whatever. None of them are. Well, that's just, like that's just emblematic of the era, right? So I well, mean, this might be this might explain the 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 American male challenge right now. Right, in general, right? It's it yep. speaks to that, right? You it know what I mean? The uh, larger question of who are they going to be? What are they about? Um, right. Both on and off the court. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, but I'm just simply saying that you wouldn't have, if if you, if at the beginning of 2009, if someone had said 2010 to be specific, that there would be no American man in the top 10 by the end of the decade, people would be you're a fucking liar. Get out of here. Yeah. That's bullshit. Insane. That's no true. way. That, yeah. that no American man would win a 40 majors. Well, nobody else but three or four. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Um, in fact, um, we have a, a a player from Croatia. <laughs> I mean, a player from Switzerland, not named Federer. <laughs> and from Argentina, who has a major. And they haven't, they haven't even been to a major finals. Yeah. Gosh, that's you're making this really depressing for the American men. Cut it out. Let's move on. Well, they should look around a lot because girl, it's depressing for American men outside anyway. At least we'll, I mean, thank God he's still so young. It's emblematic of so many things. I mean, particularly just but with, most likely within the tennis space. However, I think there's no reason for for Chad to be crestfallen because I think what, what this is all what this suggests is that this decade was. Not so great for some American men, but I think the next decade is going to be better. Yeah. Because similar to what we think needs to happen within other spheres, it's time for tennis to welcome folks of color. For sure. Let them, let them come have their moment. Just and like guys, Tifo is 21 years old. Exactly. But I mean, also just, I just think that, I mean, I think what you're also highlighting though, Reels, is where the powerhouse for American tennis, rep what it represented and where it came from for a long time, right? Out of these sort of different institutions. And those institutions have faltered and failed, which is why you saw proof of that within the last decade. And hopefully and, uh, they're more open now. <laughs> to invest it. Because, I mean, these play people made that investment, right? That's something I think is important. Yep. That when you, that champions, that people who are, no matter what, to be big in tennis, no matter where country you're from, someone has to invest in you. Sure. Whether it's time, whether it's money, and whatever the case may be. And we see that in America when it's players of color, they're not particularly interested in investing in you unless Long you have, time. like, right away. Uh, unless you, know, you show up. Unless you right have away. some resources behavior, uh, behind you. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. So, a lot that's why you see a lot of times when you see athletes who are people of color in these, they're come, somewhat from a privileged background. Yep. So, all right. Fair point. Is it my turn since Andrine shared a moment out of turn? Yes, I did because it was the right. same as um, Sean's, right? Yep. Okay. It was a so, nice segue. 
I like it. No, no, no. It was the same right. I'm just trying to make sure that we're all even here. That's yeah, all. we are. So my next moment comes from um, 2010, 2011, mostly 2011. Is Remember this your number three? Is this your number? This three? is my number three. Yes. Okay, good. Okay. So when Novak Djokovic was taking the tennis Ooh. world by storm, and nobody could stop that Serbian motherfucker, and he rightfully earned his name, the Serbian Devil, from me. Yep. This is the time period I'm in. He hadn't lost a match in 11 30,000 million billion years until the French Open semifinal of 2011 when we got that infamous finger wag when Federer took him out in the semifinals that everybody thought that was going to be Nola's year. He was going to beat Rafa. Rafa was going to be dethroned. And Federer said, fuck all y'all for counting me out and let me also remind you so at the time novak was on a 43 match win streak nobody nobody could touch him and federer stopped it but no it's so you know so yes this is a hater moment for me because i fucking loved it and i fucking hate novak (laughs) and (laughs) <laughs> that was amazing for me. I was like, yes, bitches. You know, and I didn't care that, you know, Federer was going to go to the final and get beaten by Rafa. It didn't matter because nobody could touch Novak. Nobody. Nobody even thought that it, nobody even gave any consideration that Federer was going to beat Novak. Nobody. Even though Novak hadn't lost a match in nearly six months. And you know who had beat him last? Federer. So every time, so my moment, my moment is collective. Every time, and it has been every time that Novak goes on one of his tears and nobody can stop him. You know who stops him? My fave. In Federer. Hey, boo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's my moment. I love that moment. But you know, I mean, we have to talk about the press in that moment too, though. They were so cruel and dismissive. Listen, I don't know how people say the press pays phase with Fed because. I- <laughs> oh, I should I should also mention that um and and Janina, you should also know that is also um Diva Dow's one of Diva Dow's top decade moment. Okay, for him, this last decade has been when I can't deal with Nole. Like Confederate needs to come along and handle that. No, for me. you know what? And that was a bittersweet moment. Let me tell you what you remember, Tina? <laughs> that was a bittersweet moment because they, that was one of those years where Rafa was having his, you know, Rafa was being a child that year because he's getting he was yeah. getting his ass beaten by Nole. Mm-hmm. And he was so depressed. And I think that was one of those years that I thought he thought his um Roland Garros title was in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. And I remember Uncle Tony, Tio Tony. Mm-hmm. Watching that match mm-hmm. and seeing that finger wag at the hen and said, "We got him. <laughs> We're back in business. Yep. This is what we wanted. Yep. This is it. This is business. not a drill. This is not a drill. This is it. <laughs> I Tennis think God is real. That, oh and, and that finger wag that Federer gave." That was about so much more than winning that match. Oh, it was about sure. so much more. I cool. love it. Federer is always so um politically correct even when he's yep. being shady very rarely does he let his negative emotions shine through 
and I and I don't mean you know the occasional racket smash or whatever, just the fuck you moments. Yeah, he, you don't see those, and that was a fuck you moment. It was a fuck you moment to Novak. It was a fuck you moment to every tennis person out there that side eyed him and wrote him off for the you know thousandth time because Novak was taking over everything, and he's like, yeah, yeah bitches, it's me again, again. <laughs> I loved that so much. I mean, clearly. <laughs> I loved it so much. Yes, you did. Uh, that was beautiful. Okay, that was a beautiful I'm moment. done. Yes. Mm, that was a Who's good next? moment. Wheels, we're back to you. We're going to go in order this okay. time. But we're down. We're so getting down numbers. to the nitty We're down to the number nitty two. No, so number my three. Numbers, number three. Oh, three. Okay. You know you can't go. You're right. Sorry. Just number three really for it. me is um I'm it's gonna be gender specific, but it's not necessarily, but it's just black girl magic. <laughs> you know, I think it's like maybe because I'm a, I'm in America, mm -hmm. but let me just simply say that for this whole decade, it's just how tennis lights up in such a good and a positive and a joyous way. I mean, if you're human and you're not a hater and a racist, then these things won't work. This won't apply to you. You know, um, um, whenever black girls or black people in general in tennis is doing well. When da even when Donald Young got in some of that action when he beat Ferrer, I think, at the US Open, he had a nice little run at the US Open at one year. But it's mostly, as always, black women. Black women holding it down. Serena, Venus, Sloan. Maddie, when she wants to count herself in that category. Um, Sasha, um, Taylor Townsend, Coco. I mean, the good Coco. So, <laughs> I mean. The black Coco, not the white The only Coco we acknowledge. The dark chocolate, not the white one. The only Coco I acknowledge, okay? Um, that just when they are around and social media has given them a certain, you know what I mean? <laughs> Push and whatever. It just it just makes tennis seem so fun that you it's can see what 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 tennis can be, and not just saying and not just specifically black girls, but black women. But when women of color, when those Asian girls, Lena, um, Shuish, and when they're when they're allowed to be free and be themselves, they are lighting up and they're bringing so much to tennis than the same old cookie cutter, and they are diff and they are they expanding. They are refusing to be into the box that you know the tennis media wants for them. Sloan, you could take better pictures, mm. but you know, <laughs> better wigs. I mean, I gotta I take the, it. the bad, but you refuse to be, you know, that foil for Serena. Though you don't like her, but it's cool. You know, you refuse to be that. So I just think, you know, so for me, this decade has been where we have allowed ourselves to see tennis players, and there have been black tennis players before. But again, my running theme sort of like a social media, how social media has sort of shaped this decade, but how these women have sort of like expanded up and they've made, they've put the men to shame a lot of times in, I think the men are dealing with Federer, um, they're in Federer's shadow, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Federer just encompasses all personalities. Um, but the women, you know, it's usually the women of color, particularly the black girl magic that has really made this tennis enjoyable and fun and festive so as always invite people of color people to i'm your here event. for that 
For it. When we're there, we show up and we show out and we make everything special. We just do. So that's my number three. Andre. So this is slightly related. My number three is um for the decade is the emergence of Vika as Ooh. a rival for Serena. A real rival? A real rival. <laughs> a real one, not a not a, not a manifesting one. <laughs> I mean, the head-to-head kind of like they don't really. I mean, the kind of doesn't, the, not the head-to-head. That's the head-to-head. But the emotion. But the match, the quality of the, the match. With the landscape of the match. The emotional landscape of the match. I mean, for me, it's Vika. Vika, the shorts, the attitude, the potential Serena rival, but without being a racist asshole about it. Yes. You're like, um, importante. Yes, very important <laughs> that she respected Serena, was friendly with Serena, and was and gave us two very very satisfying U.S. Open finals, the 2012 and 2013. Like, let's just think about the, the quality of those matches and the fact that the tennis was so good, and that there was a point in time when it was like slightly uncertain about who might win it. And then Serena overcame that. 2012. I think I was at the dinner. I'm surprised you still have a hairline. I was at the dinner and I was like, I need someone to turn. I I I think I skipped out a little bit and went to the bar to check out. (laughs) 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 I mean, but let's just talk about competition. You know, competitive matches, the fire, the energy, the fact that the media didn't know what to do with Vika. I mean, all of that, all of that, and the shorts. Um, I just yes, I love the Vika she represented there. You know, the affection that people have for um, Kvitova is the affection I have for Vika. I just because you know, like I said, there's a certain type of athlete that I really enjoy, and I just, which is part of the reason why for a really good while I actually enjoy Mara Sharapova. I don't like, I don't need you to be nice. I don't really need that at all. I need you to show up and want to take names and be completely comfortable with that. And that was Vika. Vika, Reina on their matches and the journeys those have been. And even though, and let's be honest, even though they both have not been um, at their peaks in terms of winning things, even the Vika re-rematch at Indian Wells this year is one of the most memorable emotional matches, right, of the year. Um, Just in terms of the journey. And this is from the beginning of the decade as well, right? Because yeah. they played 2010 Australian Open. Yes. So no matter wherever Vika sees Serena. She's like, got to get my game up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, and that's Literally. the possibilities. You know I mean? When you think about things, when people talk about regrets and possibilities, that's really the rivalry for me that makes me sad about how it just sort of took a, t- took a turn for both of them, you know, but just because of life, right. They didn't, you know, it just didn't all come together in the way. And, you know, that you right. You know, um, Vika was 2011 and 12. Yes. Right. That was her Vika year. Those were her Vika. Years. Yeah. Right. Was Vika was really year. getting her shit together. Right. And then also uh, 2015. Right. Remember that was before she had that, that little moment before she had the child. Right. right. That was like, I think she might've done the double. What she beat Serena do? twice in Miami and Indian Wells. So she had that really amazing period. So for me, the decade and the rivalry that was really interesting and intriguing for me was definitely Serena versus Vika. I thought they played really exciting tennis. 
and I love the battle. I love the noise. I love all of it. <laughs> and they had to, and all of it, and they knew that every you have to be a winner. Your shot had to be a winner. Yep. You can't mm-hmm. be playing half-ass tennis. Yep. You cannot. Yeah. So that was um. That's a definitely. That's a real rival. <coughs> a rival for Serena. And a fun one. And a fun one because it didn't have the shade. That was interesting because it didn't have the shade. That was actually a legitimate rivalry without that weird dynamic that people brought into the Povis. Yeah, because rivalry. they refused to ever get in a press conference and act like it's a cat fight. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. They refused <laughs> to engage in that kind of behavior. Yeah. No Christy versus um Martina bullshit. Yeah. No fire and I. Patrick, no, they it was just like, oh girl, it's just about the tennis. I am trying to beat her ass on the court, and she's trying to beat my ass on the court, and that's it. Well, I think ten, I think it. Tony makes a really good point that I think they've had really good memorable matches every year, except maybe 2017, which is when I think Bika was still trying to recover, I think, from her baby. And right? Serena was pregnant. Yeah. So um, so yeah, that's um, for me. That's number three of the decade. The highlight is um, the Vika Serena combo. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Emotional but good. What about yours? Is it my turn? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, it's another Federer Novak moment. It's number two. <clears throat> now in her top two. Oh no, no, no! It's just my three. It's my number three. It's my three. It's a, it's a 2012 moment. Oh, it's, okay. a, it's a Cincinnati 2012 moment. There were there were two major things that happened there. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> first thing, that was the first time I saw Venus live. Aww. And it was such an emotional experience for me. Um, most people know by now that, you know, I I grew up with the Williams sisters. I learned, I watched them, you know, because there was nothing else to watch on TV. I grew up poor. We didn't have cable. Wimbledon took over my TV every summer and that's the only channel that I could get. So I watched it and that's how I learned about tennis. That's how I learned to love the game. And I got teased a lot because black people didn't watch tennis and it was, you know, what are you doing? And then here came Serena and Venus to validate that for me, even though at that young age, I didn't know that that's, you know, what it was, but I'm like, well, they're on TV, so it must be okay. You know, beads and all. (laughs) so i mean that really that's what started my love of tennis and when i was in cincinnati in 2012 and she walked down on court i didn't i was excited to see her i was so excited um i i wasn't excited to see as excited of course i was excited to see serena but i was more excited um to see venus even though I'm a bigger Serena fan. I think for what Venus represents is just more to me um, in terms of tennis and in terms of women and life, really. I mean, Venus just seems bigger in that way. And um, I was so excited. I was so excited. And she walked out on court and I just had all this emotion that came from nowhere. And I'm standing there crying. And I was by myself. Terry was there with me that year, but he wasn't sitting next to me. And I was like on center court, completely alone, um, but surrounded by all these people having this moment. And it was amazing. It was amazing. And I remember tweeting, you know, that it was my first time seeing Venus and that I had tears and Steph in the U S was like, I get it. And I, I will, I just, I had chills. I was so, it was like, everything was coming together in that moment. 
So then to round out that tournament for 2012 uh, in Cincinnati <laughs> was the finals. And I got to see Roger Federer bagel Novak. And I'm like going, this can't be real. Oh my God, am I getting to witness this live? Like this can't be real. I was like, holy fuck, it's going to happen. You know, he's up five love in the first and I'm like, no fucking way. This He's, he's going to fuck it up. You know, he's going to win the set clearly, but he's going to lose a game. And he won it. And I'm like, yes, praise <laughs> the Lord. And then, you know, set two comes and it's tight and it's close because you know what? It was good tennis. Like, it wasn't that Novak was playing poorly. He wasn't. Federer was just on that next level shit. Novak caught up in the second set, which made it even better because it was much more com- competitive. And then Federer still won. And it was that that was an, an amazing tennis year for me. I loved everything about it. That was also the year that I started to meet people from Twitter. Um, so that was memorable. And yeah, I mean, maybe that's a bigger, as I talk about it, like that's a bigger year than I realized. Cause I did, I met a lot of people. Um, for, I think that was the first year Tony wasn't there yet. Um, I don't think anybody was there that we, I was, Steph was there. I think I might've met her, um, Arlene, if anybody remembers Arlene <laughs> and uh, Rachel, remember Rachel that you covered for sometimes Andrine, uh, the pediatrician tennis, outside what is it what's it called and now jen runs it what's that website oh, yeah it was yeah it was tennis out is um tennis outside inside out or something like no that. that's val outside the ball i don't know I, I i don't know but i met rachel you know so that was the beginning of oh meeting God, people yeah, from twitter you <laughs> did you used to cover tournaments for sites yeah, I know. I can't remember so, right now. yeah 2012 was great 2012 was a good was year amazing it was a good year Oh, maybe twenty, maybe twenty twelve is the best year of the decade for you for tennis wise. Maybe <laughs> it was the best U.S. Open finals, Women's final match in a long time. <laughs> so my number two, apparently, we're so different and yet so similar. So my number two for the decade, it's really been the growth of the Federer fever. <laughs> I mean, I would say, I thought people figured Federer was done in 2008, right? And then 2009, he won the French Open, and then he almost got the the Federer slam. Thanks. Del Potro. Fuck you. <laughs> and... And I think we figured out reels is emotion. <laughs> so the fuck off emotion. <laughs> but I mean, I think after 2010 and winning the Australian Open 2010, people figured that was it. He was done, he was finished, finito, he was done complete. 2012, yeah, he just eked out and won Wimbledon. And he was trying and whatever the case may be. But with Federer and the growth of social media, Federer is like a legit thing for everybody. Federer is pop culture. You know, Federer can sell out stadiums in Mexico City, you know, and Federer is just like everywhere. And now ATP and tennis on a whole has no reason. I think what I think Federer was doing, being a businessman. So he went to Quito, he went to Buenos Aires and he went to Mexico City to see whether or not Lever Cup can go to those places. Basically. <laughs> In the coming years, right? <laughs> Let me see if my presence, what that can do. And let's see how that's gonna go. You know what I mean? Because 
is a short of a market in in US and Europe. But I mean, just like how I think, I mean, love him or hate him, Federer is the definition of men's tennis. Mm-hmm. And for a, a part on brand for tennis itself, he's quintessential that he has that look of like that classic country, you know, privileged youth, etc. you know, of what tennis is. His movement is very much conservative, fluid, et cetera, et cetera. He doesn't define the whole aggressive style and the court, whatever it case may be. And first of all, the man got two sets of twins. That's just <laughs> decade defined it. <laughs> Okay. I mean, that's, you know, that's like four aces in a row. But um, I just feel that within this, I mean, that just Federer has taken the sport of tennis and made it less of a niche brand. I mean, it still is, but he has opened it up to the public. I mean, he is a mass, like he's everywhere. And, you know, just like, I think, you know, that the sport should capitalize on this and not just, he has opened time for them to step their game up. What is their plan to use this energy that Federer has? And despite not, you know, winning as you know, and a tear uh, being the, de- the play of the decade, um, it's Federer that's driving the tour. I mean, remove Federer from it, you're not going to Federer and anybody in the finals is going to bring numbers. It will bring the numbers. I mean, it's there for itself. So. But people just still enjoy seeing Federer and love Federer. And I really think that he, uh, when he leaves the sport, apparently he isn't planning to. Uh, <laughs> but maybe he would <laughs> forever. <laughs> but, you know, Buddha body always wins, you know. Always. So, always. Um, for me, it's been, as a Federer fan, I have been content to, I was just like, you know, ooh, when Federer got 2012, he got that Wimbledon. I was like, that's the most I can ask for this man. I mean, fuck you, Andy Murray, for stealing that Olympic gold medal. And fuck you, Delpo, again, for stealing that Olympic gold medal. Delpo, you didn't need to do all of that and still fail. Why do all of that and still fail in the end? But, <laughs> I mean, Federer still, Federer still endures. And he is a joy for me to watch all the time, every time. And despite all these young kids coming up, it is the federal win that they want. Mm-hmm. If you didn't know it, it is the federal win because to beat Federer, to beat Nole and to beat Rafa, it is a physical thing, right? You just have to outlast them. Break it's not a body. special. You break your body doing it. Dominic team. Break your body me. months later. <laughs> months later. Okay. Dominic, listen to me. Dominic team ain't making the French Open final this next year. Okay. Just put that out there. <laughs> he has not given that body time to heal. <laughs> so he won't be in press room number one. Trust me on <laughs> that. Leave him be. <laughs> but um, it is Federer. Federer has endured. And that in of itself is really remarkable. And the man is, what, 38? He's still here. And he is still playing quality on-brand tennis. And it is the kind of tennis that you can still look to and still say, this is a good thing. This is a remarkable thing. We need to copy this thing. There is no wonder why a lot of these young children right about now, the generation after the generation of Federer, that they have a one-handed backhand. Remember, we thought that was a thing that was dead and don't worry, it's never going to see it again. The two-hand was going to take over and Federer has made that trend. He, that trend died with him and then he bring it back and resurrected it. That's just make Federer, the, not only the player of the decade, 
Nole. He is the player of the century. Oh, oh shit. That. Damn. Well, oh, all right. It is Harriet. Oh, Harriet. All right. Andrew, what you got? Um, that was number two. Um, That's number two. Um, so for me, my number two is um now I'm a serious girl. I don't oh, like shit. to be led by my emotions too much. But I have to say that I have a tennis crush um, that's brand new. Um, and if it's any of my French boys, bitch, you are dying. I know. <laughs> no. I'm walking to LA and I'm going to beat you and punch no, you. No, not even, not, a, not, a, <laughs> not that kind of a crush. But you know, okay. a little bit of like the joy of discovering something new, like a kid. And I have to say, I mean, that this summer is going to be something messy. This summer, no, no, not <laughs> messy, not even something really. I mean, like it's like so small and beautiful, but like um, for me this year, it was wonderful to see Coco. It's Coco. It's Coco. Look I love you. Coco. I love Coco in like a pure She's way. She's your baby Yoda, isn't she? Yeah, she's like <laughs> I, I'm like I'm like I love Coco in the way that I want to protect Coco. Like somebody says, like somebody said something mean about Coco, I stopped following them. <laughs> Ooh, Andrine doesn't do that, you guys. Like I love Coco. I love just her light, her energy. I'm getting teary as I say it because she's like, you know, young black girlhood, and she's just been fun to watch. I'm super emotional about it, but um, and it's my number two. Oh but man, I, what did we get for number one? I know, I oh my one. God. Um, and then I took my, you know, it's so funny. I took my, um, I there's somebody I always go and stay with in London who made the whole thing possible, and I always stay with my cousin. And he was like, you know, I want to go to Wimbledon with you, and it was so cool because we got to go to Wimbledon together and see Coco. Like nice. it was like because you know because listen you know that's how black people watch tennis that don't watch tennis like if there's someone of color there if yeah. there's someone of color there you know like they're like Coco Coco I mean like every the whole time the Coco run was happening that's when black people pay attention my mom's like what about this Coco girl <laughs> yeah no you're right though you're right you know? and it's what's so important about that little piece though is that's what brings new people to the game. And we knew you fall that. In love with that one. Yes, girl magic. Yes, black girl magic. And so you know, I've had. I mean, like, listen, I've had a. I've had an ongoing love affair with tennis, but tennis has been sort of intensely a part of my life for the last ten years. But it was waning. It really was, and I was refreshed by Coco, because I'm so like annoyed and cynical about so many things. But she was like a breath of fresh air for me this year and so being able to just sit and watch, I mean listen I was watching her take a beating um, I saw her loss but it was just wonderful to be there and see her and the excitement and the interest and people going I'm seeing Coco I'm seeing Coco this yeah. is what the audience was saying like I'm seeing Coco it was just like it was just beautiful and it's like Something it was reminiscent new. of like early you know early days of falling in love with, a, with tennis just in mm -hmm. general um, mm -hmm. so for me, like the number two moment of the decade was like, is the emergence of Coco. Um, and in a period when like black girls are perceived in very dubious ways, it's just been really lovely to see Coco. And then just the way that she lost, to, um, that she beat Venus, but then she was so thankful and be able to tell Venus how important she would matter. You know, I mean, all of that, how important she was to her. 
And, um, but then Venus also owning that moment, like, listen, you're not coming to take anything, you know, all of that, all of, all of the things. You can take whatever you want. It's all yours to have. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and just the wild excitement for Coco and the joy. And so it just reminded me that, you know, when people are sitting around trying to fix tennis, tennis isn't wrong, isn't messed up. It's just that they haven't found people that they (laughs) are gravitating towards. And when they do, you see it. And, you know, Real said it in number two with Federa. You hate, love him, hate him. People are drawn to him. Same thing with Coco. Love her, hate her. People love her and they will show up to see her. So when people love a player, they will just, they will climb mountains to see them. You know? I mean, I didn't, I didn't think Mexico City had all that kind of people, but apparently it does. <laughs> right? Quito is going through a recession. People showing up in Quito. They literally had a riot demonstration in Quito. The week before Federer showed up, yeah, I thought it wasn't even gonna happen, but <laughs> I'm telling you, I mean, it's, it's, the things we do. it's beautiful player, when you are loved, it's beautiful when a player yeah. is loved, and what it does is it makes people, um, it makes people give up and move past their fears to do something they never imagined they would do, like Janina said, and going to Cincy for the first time. And, you know, there are people who showed up at the Washington, D.C. tournament to see Coco for the first time and thought about, like, let me find this thing that's happening in my backyard. That's what's magical about having a player that, like, gets you out of your comfort zone. Um, And so Coco is a wonderful surprise, a wonderful surprise. Um, I saw her a little bit early on in U.S. Open period when she was playing juniors, but her bursting on the scene and representing just like youthful black girl energy in such a wonderful way and and her parents and all of it. I just I love all of it. And so you can't tell me nothing about Coco. okay? (laughs) Nope, nope, nope. We won't have it. We won't have it. Bye bye. She will be my new Monfils, but I, I, you know, I, I've not heard anybody say that they don't love Coco yet. It'll be interesting because Girl, there's no reason to not. They, 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 they say it in code. They say it in code. Yeah, well, I believe that. Code, <laughs> you know, I'm here for Coco. I yeah. want to share somebody else's moment. Yep. Uh, Pablo oh. sent me a message. It, and it's PG because, you know, Pablo is. It's no. PG. It's even serious, okay. right? Who is this Pablo creeping in my DMs? <laughs> um, <laughs> I. You know what? Okay, I want to say first of all that we covered this extensively, and this didn't cross my mind. So this is interesting that I didn't think of it. Not that Pablo did that I didn't, and that none of us have mentioned it. So he is saying um, that one of the the highlights of um, the decade for him. And it wasn't, again, it wasn't a good moment was Ben uh, Rothenberg's article in the New York times, body shaming Serena. Body shaming. That's one of, but that's also one of our best episodes. I would say it was one of our best episodes. It's one of our most listened to episodes. Mm -hmm. Um, But just so that we get Pablo's um, thought out there, he said, you know, that I think that marked a change in how black female athletes, especially Serena, got reported and he got away with it for a while, but has shown his spots recently. Um, It marked a change. It was not acceptable to print this shit anymore. So that being said, he also said, and this is this for me, this was the biggest takeaway. It revealed how many people um, well, 
he mentions the um, U.S. Open final versus Osaka too. But I think it starts to go back um, just to tie everything together to that article that Ben wrote. How behind the scenes racist people can be in the things that they say that are racist. And, you know, they don't even... I, I don't even know if I want to go as far as to say that they don't believe that they're being that way, but I don't know. People show their true colors. When things like this happen, people show their true colors. And I did this, did this moment come up for any of you guys? Because it didn't for me. The Osaka one Serena did because it's more recent, but I, I had kind of forgotten about that article. I remembered it. Um, it didn't come up. I, it was like something I didn't, it didn't make my list, but I thought about it. Um, because I was thinking also just about like emblematic podcast moments for us. I remember that podcast. And I think what it revealed to me was that because I thought that we made a really good case for our point of view. And I actually felt like um, we left that podcast not having changed Ben's mind. Like, I don't think he thought there was anything wrong with the way he had characterized um, the body issue at all. And so what struck me about that was that um, you can have a dialogue with a person, but I'm often, I'm often willing to be moved. I really am, you know, but I didn't mm -hmm. think he was willing to, he, he didn't, he wasn't willing to have his mind change because his priorities were really different. Um, I think his priorities were about um, maybe clicks or maybe just like finding the most controversial angle. But I think also that I just realized that we just saw the world in fundamentally different ways. And like what we were trying to communicate to him, he couldn't see. And I don't yeah. know, he couldn't see what he was trying to say. Cause maybe that's what it was. But I just thought that we I was really totally stuck in the middle. If anyone hasn't yeah. heard that, well, I was I remember. Well, what was interesting. And I caught shit from everybody for it. Well, and I'm I, still in the middle. What I thought was interesting was that everyone at the New York times and everyone everywhere felt it was okay to have it first off a man write a piece on women's bodies, whether positive, negative, or in between. <laughs> that it should not have been a man, and and I'm just, and I'm just saying that just the optics of that alone was problematic. And that article actually generated them to have a public editor. I think I think came out as a result of that article because of the fervor that it came out. It would mention. Yeah, um, I'll just mention that. Um, Claudia Claudia Rankin had yeah. to. Yeah, write a whole use her literary talent to write a whole <laughs> piece to rebuff that mass and madness and i think as a result of that for me it's like you're right you're right it's not even just like i think as andrean says you know like we're coming from two different point of view and not wanting to be moved but uh, for me it it, it it was emblematic of just how within this time, again, because of social media, where different voices are able to put themselves on a platform and people have access to it, whether it would be get a bazillion clicks or not, that people's voice can be literally heard, right? Now, in this space, that how many of us, you know, that there is, we're able to say, you know, like, hey, this thing is not okay. And just just this article alone was able to say how was to show how we deal with these issues so differently and how we are people with I guess I guess for for me it's just like how 
when we're dealing with these issues at how one side just refuses to hear anything. I know. And also refuses to acknowledge their power in crafting uh, and shaping right. people's perceptions because I mean, I there's a reporter, I won't put her on blast, but she complains about Venus often. And I think to myself, you know, you are a reporter. I know that you think of yourself as a little individual, but you are a reporter reporting on tennis and your perception carries a lot of weight. So even though this person is annoying you and you're thinking of it as a personal interaction, it's actually not a personal interaction at all. Your point of view has weight. And so you, and, and so I often think about it just also with even just reporters and that understanding that they are, um, how they portray a player is often personal for them. And it's the player that makes them feel comfortable that they then um, write in a very particular way. And, um, and so sometimes you have to be really careful about how you are positioning your story and how you are talking about people who are different from you, mm-hmm. because maybe, you know, yes, that player smiles. And so that puts you at ease. And so therefore you can write a certain way and maybe the player is not smiling. And so that you're confused. Remember, that's the issue with the woman on the, um, the British podcast, tennis podcast show. She had a weird reaction with Sloan. She couldn't understand Sloan. Um, because Sloan didn't fit into her pre-existing box, I think, of a black girl. She wasn't mm-hmm. angry. She wasn't fired up. You know, there are all these like categories that I think really, really people slot black girls in. And Sloan for a while didn't fit. And so she was like, I'm just so confused by Sloan. And da, 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 da. But she had, the, <laughs> she had the weight of her podcast and the weight of her title. And so she could characterize Sloan in all kinds of ways. That was, um, I think, problematic. And she didn't acknowledge that. Because she was just coming at it from this very personal space. Um, so I don't know. I just think that people have to recognize their power on a platform such as the New York Times. And that you don't just get to sort of like ramble <laughs> about a feeling you have, which is what we can do here. Um, <laughs> um, is that what your your observations have weight and carry a lot more, um, I, I don't know, a lot but, more but, and a lot more eyes. And so you a bit more careful but it's also added to that it's also the, how exclusive those rooms are right like oh, those yeah. rooms uh don't think how lack of diversity and true diversity where that someone can say something and it matters yep. because women white women didn't come out of that article looking good either the players who he mentioned the white players he mentioned were upset with that interview with that piece of, itself because they knew he, he painted that. them in a, in a not so negative light. Like how it is that a man could have been the one to decide that he was going to write this piece? It was just like what? Well, it goes to show also that there's a lack of coverage in tennis. Period. I mean, there's not a female writer that I know of that works for the New York Times. Yes, there is. I mean, I Chris think McClary and, and him and him are not the only one there. They're, there are fact, occasional ones that write for it, but I think the right. consistent ones that cover tennis is probably those two in your mind. But I also think for, I mean, actually, I think at the time though, I mean, I, I, I mean, it might not have been an attractive point of view for the women for the white women, but it was consistent, mm-hmm. right? right. It was the consistent one, which were which didn't didn't generate a lot of blowback, because <laughs> you know, white women 
that is an issue for white women about the idea of, um, you know, black bodies have always, black female bodies have always been perceived or in a certain way, right? It's always been characterized in a very masculine way, particularly within sport, right? So the fact that white women said, I don't want to be that, that's not as challenging a thing to to see out in public because what white women are really admitting is that they don't want to they don't want to carry the mantle that black women carry we get that (laughs) so that's why aga can say i don't want to get muscular and everyone understands what that means that's a code right that's a feminist code right that's a feminine-esque code for her like i want to continue but they have a recall but they also have a recourse right yeah, they could get to him directly because yeah. he mentioned they reach out to him and say, "No, we're not talking to you anymore." <laughs> sure, sure. You true. know what I mean? And he accepted that as a critique. I was just like, "Oh, I get that." But had the same thing happened to a black woman, that would have been another story ready to write. Yeah. And well, she yeah, doesn't. Yeah. She doesn't even get to defend herself. She's not even able to defend herself. She has to take that and move along. Well, could you, um, Janina said she was in the middle. Just remind our audience so they maybe they maybe want to get back to it and listen. Why did you perceive yourself as being in the middle before we move on? Um, I just didn't necessarily agree that um, everything was intentional mm. as far as being negative. Um, I just didn't. I my my gut reaction to reading the piece was very very different from yours and reels and Karen's. Um, it was very different, but I also know that I am a. I take things for face value, yeah. often and first. That's who I am. It's what I do. Um, I tend to give people the benefit of the doubt, even though I don't think that that wasn't a situation of the benefit of the doubt for me. I mean, I'm just saying as a person, that's who I am, but I tend to read something and go, this is what they said. So this is what, what they must mean, because that's what I do, because I say, you know, you expect people to be honest the way that you're honest. Um, I do. And so it was difficult for me to read into all of those things and um, kind of paint it in a negative light after having so many conversations with Ben outside of Twitter, you know, and knowing someone on a certain level, it was just weird. It was just, it's just weird because I, I expect people to say what they mean. I I always expect that from everybody. So I'm always a little bit surprised when you start to dig deeper and you go, fuck, you know, God, like, why'd you do that, man? <laughs> like, you know, because honestly, if you want to say, even though I know that it's not right, but in my head, um, if you want to say like, you know, Serena's body is ugly and masculine and nobody wants it, then say that. I mean, that's how my mind operates. So that's why it's always difficult for me. I think oftentimes when we have conversations where you have to go a little deeper, and I hope I'm not painting myself in a shallow light because I don't think I am. I just always want people to be real. That's what I want. That's what I expect because that's who I am. So when I have to be me, Janine, I'm sorry. uh, You're right. You're right. But (laughs) I I really think that's where it comes from to answer your question, Andrine. I just expect to be able to take something at face value. I mean, I'm older now. I'm wiser now. I know that people don't operate that way. Um, 
and honestly, you know, something that I'm not proud of is um, I've learned a lot just from talking to you guys more about, I didn't, you know, we've talked about before, I didn't grow up the way that you guys grew up. I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood with my white family, and I did not experience a lot of racism until I was an adult. Um, very little did I experience. So I'm not familiar with all of the coded language. So that's, you know, that's something well, that I've can, can I ask too. a question? Can I, can I ask a question of this? Yeah. Statement? Are you saying that you didn't pick up on any racism as a child growing up, as opposed to didn't necessarily experience it? Because you didn't then said coded language. Because I'm saying I didn't the racism that I experienced as a child and it was very little was very blunt. It was being called a nigger, things like that. Um, I, I didn't, I, I don't ever remember um, subtle things. I don't remember experiencing any of that until I was an adult. So because of that, I think it's not, it's not my instinct to take something there. Whereas it might be more, someone who has experienced that their entire life. That's what I mean. I don't automatically think in terms of race. Well, I mean, I think in many ways what would, um, and that's a fair point. I think in many ways though, for us, what we do, or at least I think one of the things that Reels and I talk about oftentimes is that I think most people don't understand that they are always working in coded language. I don't think it's, it's, it's not always <clears throat> obvious and intentional. Right. I think what happens is people internalize values and internalize ideas that they don't challenge. Yeah. And so, um, and so when, a, and I think oftentimes that's what happens with writers that now are experiencing pushback is that they will articulate something feeling as if they're coming at some, from it, from uh, some objective distance and someone will say, Oh no, no, no. And they'll be like, of course I'm writing it from this place of, you know, complete reporterly distance. And I'm mm -hmm. like, no, you are not. First of all, the idea of, um, objectivity is false and you have been telling yourself that for years and because you've been in a room with the same people and they've patted you on the back and said yes you're right, right. now others are listening to you and talking <laughs> back to you and telling you no no that's not right you're you're actually you've actually um are revealing a lot of bias right now and a lot of unconscious bias probably and mm -hmm. so um i think that piece had a lot of unconscious bias reflected in many both the writer and many of the people um commenting um, and many of the players commenting. And I think when you unmask it a little bit, I think the players themselves saw it unmask and go, ooh. Yeah. And that's why they decided they didn't want to talk anymore. For sure. They were, you know what I mean? Like, it's not something you're walking around being conscious of all the time. You just internalize these ideas about womanhood. And then it's like, and then suddenly on the written page, it becomes very obvious and naked. And suddenly it's like, Ugh, I don't know if I was um, what I intended. <laughs> one of the things I would say in regards to that article and articles like it is that those folks, and we saw that as a result of the US Open um, last year with the Serena um, Osaka debacle, that it isn't about truth that matters, right? No. It's that they're able to, and these writers know it, is that they're exploiting a, a known cashier, a, a known, yeah. um, ooh, what's the word? Social media um, algorithm. Yeah. You trash black people and it produces clicks. Mm -hmm. And as yep. much as people, as, as much as whiteness likes to present itself as being innocent. the standard, the thing, and the innocence, it is 
specific it is set up diametrically opposed to anti-blackness whiteness is a reflection of anti-blackness hence why everything whiteness holds dear to it it points to anti-blackness as blackness as being the other and it doesn't have that thing so it is it says it's not a race and then it is a race because they created it in that way so that's i think one of the frustrating thing about this situation is that those things is that you can't even get to the conversation because we could have had a healthy discussion about players and body they're athletes right we talk about weight issues and bodies all the time but we can't even get to that because we have to deal with the racism <laughs> at the very beginning there isn't a language because the language that is being used is so defamatory and so problematic and we can't even get to our baseline because everyone then begins to argue about when people of color saying oh this is not okay people are like oh why is that not okay this is okay perfectly fine and then we don't get to the substance of the matter but um pablo thank you very much for bringing such a yeah, you got a big chunk of the podcast, boo boo. <laughs> <laughs> I'll silent backer. <laughs> it's Pablo. <laughs> so, uh, Janina, you mentioned your number two, right? Um, are we on number twos? Is it my turn for number two? If okay, you, I'm ready for my number. Yeah, I can go for number two. So okay. I'm going to do a flip as I'm sitting here looking because I was going in chronological order. Yeah. But I'm going to flip my last two. Um, so 2018 was a good year personally, um, for tennis and in my tennis life. So I, that was the first year I covered Cincinnati in the press room. Ooh, and that was, um, the first year that I got to meet Chad and Peter and all the, the fun times that we had in 2018. However, there's a because bittersweet the because of the podcast, right? Again, <laughs> it just keeps coming back to the podcast. There's <laughs> there's a piece of that was that that was very fun and eye opening, um, but also a little bit bittersweet. Um, if I could just you know pat my own back for a moment, there mm. was a time. Look out! Oh yeah, look out! <laughs> hey, no shade to you guys. Total shade to the fucking WTA. But anyways, um, you know I introduced Quakeway to the world, <laughs> and <laughs> Quakeway was Quakeway <laughs> was not in the press room before Janina asked Serena about Quakeway. Let that be known. And it was fun. And, you know, everybody, Serena walked in that room and nobody, you could have heard a fucking needle drop. It was so quiet. People are afraid of that woman. And everyone was so serious. And I'm like, oh my God, fuck this. So, yeah, I totally, you know, Serena laughed. I got Serena Williams to laugh in press. I hope no. you know that Quakeway now have a Twitter page, an Instagram page. Quakeway's out here making money. I think she has animation coming out. And why do you have Janina? I don't know. That's why I'm saying it's bittersweet. I get no fucking okay. credit. Okay. Nothing. Nothing. But it was a fun moment. It was a fun moment. Um, Chad got in trouble for it. That was also a fun moment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna blow his spot up. Every the tweet heard around the world that got him called to the principal's office. You know, it's all good, but 
<laughs> that that was fun. That was that was fun for 2018. Oh, wonderful. So my number one. Now we got down to the brass to the nitty gritty. The nitty gritty. <laughs> so my number one is. I don't know if it's bittersweet, but whatever. But the number one is the longevity, the ever-enduring of Venus Ebony Star motherfucking Williams. I'm telling you, people. <laughs> Venus has taken me to the highs and the lows. <laughs> but she is out here doing the damn thing. I mean, Venus should have been stopped and washed out in 2009. 2003. 10. I'm going to tell y'all a secret. I don't like Kim Clijsters. Don't like any of the Belgians. I mean, I prefer her more than I like Justine, but I don't like Kim Clijsters. I don't care how sweet y'all want to say she is. and uh, Whatever. I think Leighton Hewitt did her dirty. And on that, we could agree. Um, she can call me. And I could go put sugar in his tank. She could call me for that kind of thing. I'm done with that. But after that, Kim will go part ways. And we ain't going to say anything. But, you know, 2010, beginning of the decade, Venus was there. We're going to snatch that U.S. Open title. And the win and Kim Kleiser fucked her up. <laughs> That's true. They fucked her up again in 2014. <laughs> and I know I have a good friend who is a Kim Kleiser's fan. And I know he only liked Kim Kleiser's because Kim has kept the Williams sisters honest. <laughs> the Williams sisters has kept Kim to three majors, but you know that we're gonna have that conversation, have we? <laughs> or four, I think it is, or something like that. They have retired her twice, and she's trying to come out of the grave again. But you know, but this ain't about Kimberly. This is about Venus Williams. That Venus got sugar disease in like 2011, and that girl is still here. She is coming for your faves. She's there. And she's played. I mean, like, that is. I mean, she's and, almost forty. She's almost forty, <laughs> and that is supposed to tell you that here is a woman who I, have, uh, have achieved everything. I right? her better Latino for mixed doubles. You <laughs> 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 have a combined age. If they played at the U.S. Open, when is Federer's birthday? They would have a combined age of All eighty. Gone. Okay. I mean, listen to me. Y'all think Federer and Serena is fire? Do I think someone should really put them in a room and have a discussion with them? Pick me for that interview. Um, but Venus and Federer on the court should be something magical. On the same side of the court, I'm telling you, y'all will sell out every stadium. Y'all will sell out Carnegie Hall. It's just walk on the stage. I'm telling you. Just putting out there, people. But Venus, I mean, she hasn't been collecting the trophies as you know, as you want them to, but you know, um, she got it's some amazing. people together, but you know, Alize Cornet, you know how it feels to be in the other side of Venus Williams. No matter how Venus could be 45 and she's still snatching Alize Cornet's neck. She's still <laughs> gonna put that rope around her neck. And but Venus is still out here. I mean, there were many times when he do, I mean, like she has. She has a disease that makes her being an athlete at the top of her field nearly impossible. But yeah, she's out there. She give up meat, girl. I don't know how you do that, but you know, that alone, <laughs> it should be a feather in your cap. But she said, and in 2000, a specific moment, 2017, is it? Right? I am correct, right? Yep. For Wimbledon. And um, I should also put a caveat that you know that 
This is why I can never get on this Serena bandwagon. <laughs> Ever. Ever. <laughs> I mean, I'll fight for her, but you see, like, to be like, oh, yeah, I'll be in all here with that Serena. Nope. Never happened. Never happened. <laughs> Ever. Chad, you're no longer invited to the Venus meetings. You're not. <laughs> I saw you slipping. So right. something. When Serena snatched coconut, and that look on coconut face was enough to even send me. That was enough alone. When coconut cries, <laughs> this old bitch beat my ass and beat me really good. But when Venus did a triple pirouette <laughs> and the pure joy and excitement coming out of Venus, I mean, that is the decade. That is the moment of the decade. Nothing else, nothing else can top that. And here is a woman who is well past her prime out here doing the daggone thing, showing you what hard work and define success differently. We don't always get to define success by winning and being a big check. You understand what I'm saying? And it's just that success can be just living every day and doing the thing that you love at the best of your ability. And Venus, Ebony Star Williams shows us that. And I know, and I'm putting it out to so you, heard it first, Venus is going to retire this next year, if she not already retired. Because I'm telling you, whenever Venus is living her best life off of the court, she's having a horrible <laughs> time on the court. You know like, that, that doing... moment where um, <laughs> Venus beat Coco and did that amazing twirl? That was on Tony's epic list, too. I <laughs> mean, <laughs> Venus is done it, Tony. You don't get to mention Venus' name. Not in my moment. No, you don't. <laughs> you don't. Listen, Tony had many moments. He can fit into every single no, one of No, Tony, these. you won't get this. You won't get this. Venus fans are very selfish. And honestly, and we all know, let me tell you, Venus fans, all Venus true fans, is that we still remember all those matches Venus lost to Serena and be like, this is <laughs> Those gifts. Why is she being that? Is you insane? But you know what? You know what? Our favorite, it's beyond the decade, but 2008, <laughs> but 2008 and 2001, we know Venus sent a message to Serena and told her in those finals, but you know I'm the better player. But you know what? <laughs> you want to be number one? Girl, go ahead and have it. Go ahead and have it. Oh my God, Andrew, what's uh, your Venus number one? Longevity is my number one. So. <laughs> Longevity of Venus, all hail yeah. the queen. But I, I, let me just finish up by saying this one thing that you know, Venus is going to retire next year because she's doing all kind of projects, and Venus is talking and smiling and laughing and living her best life off. Of course, <laughs> we've never seen that in the twenty-something years we've seen Venus. <laughs> Venus, is, you know what I'm saying? Venus kept Venus be going in press conferences and being like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> she's in a transition mm-hmm. plan. That's what I mean. Saying. No, Venus is on a TV show, morning show. Listen to me. Look out for 20, 20, 2020. Venus is going to be taking the airways. Venus, bring on people of color, okay? Because I know how you are, girl. Because you're my people, but you know. Let's get rainbow up in there, okay? <laughs> and diversity of ideas is not diversity, Venus. <laughs> Don't be Apple. <laughs> oh, you're a mess. All right. Um, dream. <laughs> So okay, so yes, uh, my number one moment. Um, I mean, it's 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 keeping with the theme of liveness. So in the decade, um, this is a moment that makes reels bitter. 
but uh, it, it's emotional for lots of different reasons, which is I that you um, my face right now because I know you're about to be on some bullshit. I know. <laughs> I can see your face, and I can't even see your face. <laughs> oh my god! You of Leo Genus's spot with her "All Lives Matter" stuff. Okay. <laughs> I mean, Venus is complicated. We know that. We know that. I admit it all the fault, but I'm telling Venus you what. Complicated, respectable sister. Okay. Exactly. Listen, Venus is like raised like old school Caribbean people. That's how that is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's weird, right? Because she's so American. <laughs> I get you, Venus. I got you. Um, anyway, so top moment of the decade for me is um it involves a couple of things that I didn't think I was gonna do, which is why it's um my top moment. I always wanted to go to the Olympics. I thought it would be super cool to do it. And then they decided I'm gonna make the Olympics possible in London at Wimbledon. What? <laughs> of course I should do this. And the tickets were easy enough to get. And I was continually surprised. Why are these tickets so easy to get? Well, because no one wants to see tennis at the summer games. I mean, London for its own ridiculousness and its ridiculousness. <laughs> However, my top moment of the decade is watching. Federer versus Del Pocho at the London 2012 semifinal <laughs> match. Why? Because I needed to pee for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> and that motherfucking third set <laughs> did not have a damn tie break. <laughs> and I didn't know what to do. And I was like, if I leave, Somebody's going to break and then I won't be able to get back in. Oh my God. <laughs> so I held my pee for about 90 minutes. Um, mm. And I was sitting. Shout out to your bladder. <laughs> that sent it to my bladder, right? And I was sitting in the crowd with, I think, Kobe Bryant and a bunch of basketball players had shown up to watch this match because, hey, they thought they had time on their hands too. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say we went to this famous place called Wimbledon and we watched this kind of famous dude called Federer and have an Instagram moment. And, that and it's going to be done in like 90 minutes. And this shit just kept going on. And it was such an emotional match. So, like, the peaks and the valleys in that match and Del Potro doing that Del Potro thing, which you know, now that we know that Del Potro knows how to beat Federer in these peak moments. It is amazing that Federer came through that match. And we all looked at each other and said, he's not winning the gold. Oh. <laughs> oh. And that was just like. But and was, unleash Murray on us. Oh. I know. Unleash Murray. But it was like, it was just great. Because it was just all of those things. And then I was walking around the grounds, y'all. And I saw, um, I saw, um, I saw all these random athletes just posing and taking pictures. And then after that emotional match, you know, we, you, when you can leave and there's that little section, there's that little section where the, the, the players usually come out and they can wave before they go into the media center. And the audience is still feeling the weird vibe of that match. And so we come out and Federer decides to come out and do a little wave. And he happens to be talking and he's back his turn to us. And, you know, of course, um, it's just a silly moment, but he reaches up and he's scratching his back and he's showing his underwear and everybody starts yelling and whistling. 
America come get you, man. Because these perverts are out here. These perverts out here. Right? It's those little details that make everything so important. I mean, Federal should have been a towel just to watch the chat and not leave a cup. And people just lost their fucking mind. Uh, but the whole the whole day was just surreal. And everybody, it's just like this wonderful moment that just all encapsulated just this bizarre. First of all, it was just kind of bizarre for tennis at the Olympics. And then to have it, it's just all of it was just sort of weird. But this match just was emblematic. And now it became a theme, right? Matches that went on for too damn long. <laughs> yep. But um, that, I think, is still one of my most enduring moments because I was like, I'm sitting here watching Olympic match inside <laughs> Wimbledon because I had never actually been able to. I'd done, um, I'd gone to Wimbledon in 2009, but I'd just lined up and I'd never been on center court. So to be able to get a center court ticket and then- And it be the Olympics? That's pretty impressive. It, it's freaking ridiculous. And I just kept pinching myself going, I can't believe I'm doing this. And then to look left and see like Kobe Bryant like watching, I just was like, the whole thing was just bizarre and weird. And um, and then Federer's <laughs> ability to fucking get a break. <laughs> Me eating the pee, which is all. Well, you know why? Well, first of Federer's shout out to Federer's ability to not be broken because you're there. I, listen, listen. <laughs> when and does then, that you know, ever happen, right? And then it just wrapped up the moment. Then the very next day, when I thought that I I assumed that Del Potro was gonna lose, and then I'm watching the freaking like gold medal meta watch gold medal match and. Federer hadn't known that Delpo had won and beaten Nolan. <laughs> and out comes Delpo. Choo, choo, choo. I'm getting the bronze. And Federer was like, yay. And they're all ignoring Murray in the middle. <laughs> uh, you, know, you know Delpo has a story about that, right? When Delpo was just like, Federer was just like, I thought Nolan was going to come out here. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, it was, because... all of my, it was all of my goodness and my pettiness wrapped up in one. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah. Oh, I mean it was a good moment because it was, you know, it was it was a pinnacle of travel, but then also just like a fun experience to finally see Federal win a medal because that was like another damn achievement. A singles so. medal. <laughs> because I think Federer defined himself in 2008 with Stan. With the doubles, yeah. But with it was you doubles. know singles medals are always a bigger deal for people. So um let me tell you something, you know. Tennis at the Olympics is a vanity project. I don't care what anybody tells me. It's a vanity project. Because let me tell you something. Federer and Stan beat the Bryant brothers. The Bryant brothers have been salty about For tennis, right? I mean, I think it generally is on the men's side. I think on the women's side, it like it holds it holds water for very much so. But anyway, I think my top two moments have involved Wimbledon, I think. But um, but I don't know. I think this decade has been Wimbledon-esque. I, I think so. Wimbledon, I feel like it's been a kind of I think that's been sort of the one of the Wimbledon has events. been the tournament that, that has endured. All the others have been kind of has shitty Wimbledon up and down. Period. I mean, but you know, Janina said it when we were younger. I mean, when I was watching tennis on a freaking single channel, it was Breakfast at Wimbledon. That's what it was. It's true. Yep. On HBO. <laughs> it was Breakfast at Wimbledon. That is, it, it wasn't Breakfast at Roland Garros. We don't even know what that is. <laughs> so my number one moment also um, centers around Olympics. Mm -hmm. But it's more about it's it's less about the tennis and it's more about the company mm -hmm. in 2016 andreen and i got to meet in person for the first <laughs> and only time so just a little you know andreen and i have been talking on twitter since at least 
at least 2009. So this was a long time coming, a long time coming. And I had been there um, and I'm outside and I'm waiting for her because she's like, I'm coming. So I go downstairs. I want to greet her at the door. I'm so excited. I get to meet Andrine face to face. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck is this bitch? <laughs> and I call her. She's like, I'm in the room. I'm like, how'd you get past me? <laughs> so I go upstairs and, you know, she's in there and we hug and it's wonderful and great. Like it's supposed to be. And um, we go to the tennis. And we, it's during the 2016 Olympics. No one goes to Cincinnati because they're all at the Olympics. And <laughs> it was too close. Like, no one was coming. So the field was very narrow and the, and the crowds were way down, which was actually nice. Um, so we go to the tennis and there's tons of rain. The rain delays that year were insane. And let me tell you something. Tony is the master of getting the table when it's going to rain. <laughs> I had so much fun watching the Olympics at the wine bar with Andrine and Tony while we were waiting for fucking rain delays to be over to watch the tennis that we were there to see. We watched so it, it we so we watched I remember specifically watching um, the the rate the races, yep. and you know me cheering for the American and Andrew. You mean track and field? Yeah, track and field. And, okay, and there's a like, lot of races that you're Sorry, <laughs> like races. I don't, I'm like, what do I call that? Um, you know, and I'm like ha- excited for the Americans, and and Andrew's like, fuck that, go Jamaica. And Tony's <laughs> like, I want everyone to win because that's who Tony is. <laughs> And we're, but the best, one of the best moments, we're in another rain. There were so many rain delays. That was the year, Andrew, remember that Grigor and was it Marin Cilic finished at like after midnight and we were like dying. And I was like, we should just leave. And you're like, nope, we're staying till the bitter end because the rain never seemed like it was going to stop. And it stopped. And, you know, we got to finish the match court side and I was really tired, but whatever. So we're watching, um, the mixed doubles gold medal match. And remember people, it was like MAGA versus Obama. (laughs) (laughs) It was Venus and Raji fucking can't play Rom. Y'all are trying to trigger me onto Coco and Jack Sock. Yes. And there was tons of people. There were a ton of people surrounding watching this. And you know what else was funny about this whole experience? Do you remember how like, so every time there was a rain delay, we went back to the same space. Mm-hmm. And oh, it was Bethany Maddox-Sands? It wasn't Coco? It was Bethany Maddox-Sands and Jack yeah, Sock? Okay, sorry. Yeah. I just hate Coco so much I wanted it to be her. Anyways, um, every time we would go back to this specific place to, to um, get drinks and food and, and watch the Olympics on TV, we would change the channel. <laughs> we would go up and people are like <laughs> watching something. I'm like you got to put the Olympics on. <laughs> What's wrong with you people? Why, the Olympics is like, it. Why are we? Well, because 
they default to center court. Like, why are we watching it rain? <laughs> put, the, put the fucking Olympics on. So we're watching. Um, we get on to see the gold medal match and it's almost over and they're in that tie break and we all feel like you know venus and is is clearly carrying the team and the better of the two and we think that maybe they're gonna you know they're gonna do what they're gonna win and then they don't but the nice part about them not winning was the level of disappointment surrounding us i didn't expect it I didn't. Do you remember, Andrine? Like, everybody was cheering for them. Yeah. And even though it was, like, two sets of Americans. Um, <laughs> there was really only one. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. But everybody was cheering for Venus. And, I mean, we can pretend that they were cheering for Venus and her partner that wasn't really playing, but really it was it was Venus, you know? So it was... Well, we know what that fucking, district votes for when the election comes around. It's true. <laughs> but it fucking sucks that they lost, but it was really nice to know that it was nice to watch it with Andrine and Tony, and it was nice to um, feel the Venus love mostly because there were some assholes there there always are we were in the middle of you know fucking southern ohio in a very rich white area but most of everybody wanted venus to win and i remember that feeling and it was so fun and i remember being disappointed because like federer is not going to be there serena's not going to be there see tony said what a fun year it was so fun and um it, like all the big names skipped out so grounds were kind of bare and you know we just got to really hang out yeah. and have the tennis experience with friends and just have fun and Tell even me, I though i will come back i will come back since you said <laughs> it, was it was great remember remember that was when chorich got his first win over rafa i'm just pointing that out. <laughs> <laughs> I think rafa was the only one of the top people to show up and rafa's like i'm getting the hell out of here <laughs> Nobody came. Nobody did. Yeah, we didn't watch a lot of tennis, but we just had so much fun. And I was like, "This is this is what I love about the tennis community." It was so nice. It's the fans. I want to say that Andrine was and Reels both made other people's top lists. Um, You were both on Maya's list, meeting both of you. One of Maya's favorite memories was. Andrine was when you guys watched Monfils at Indian Wells and Maya um, what for you reels when you guys met at the US Open and, and you saw each other and you just knew who each other were with exactly and the wonderful thing is that Maya insisted in getting me liquored up I'm telling you that really <laughs> knows <laughs> but you know she for me like an amazing woman she is an amazing woman what this has all brought uh-huh. for me like t- the podcast yeah. I've met so many the thing people. of the decade it's the thing of the decade it is I've met so many people because of the podcast but even more because of Twitter and it has been so fun so fun and even if I didn't really like you I'm glad I met you <laughs> are you saying that to people out there I mean there were a few people I didn't really care for well, but the podcast that brings you more to generate from Twitter yeah 
so that's I, I, love it. I love meeting person. I love meeting people in person. I I think for the most part, I always say I always meet up. I do. I always enjoy and it. Why, I, I feel that way about Rajiv Ram for a long time, <laughs> well, even yes, before the Olympic. That's his name. It's fucking Rajiv. <laughs> I think that's, like, that's the only way Reels refers to him. <laughs> you see, this is, and I blame Gregor because you see, Gregor lost to him that one time in Acapulco. <laughs> Wait, did we get everybody's number one moment? Um, what are your guys's number one moments in the chat? Oh no, th- that was Reels, right? That was ours. We did I'm ours. Oh good, yeah, we, we did, did it. Ours. That was top number six. Sorry, we didn't do the top six for ladies this year, but we finished out the decade with our top six. Yes, any special I, moments that didn't make it on the list? Let me see. I'm looking at my list to see if mm-hmm. I had anything and I just didn't quite do. I think for me, a special moment, um, I guess it's a combination, it's Coco beating Venus, yeah. Um, for me, that was like a passing, not a passing of a torch, but Coco is giving me hope, like you, Andre, that there is someone to cheer for. Yes. That I can feel free to love and enjoy yep. in the next decade. Yes. Because some of my faves are going out. <laughs> and I can cheer for Coco and not be about anything smutty, uh, you know, because some of these men, I'm only cheering for them because, you know, it's of true. Because I'm a thought. <laughs> so, you know, it's just the truth. You know, um, so I am excited for a new decade. Um, fans, um, you can shoot us a DM us, you know, my DMs are open. Yeah, I mean, from the person who started our started with us on the podcast, um, Karen, she said for her, she had some favorite moments of the decade based on her favorites. For her, it, for Serena, it was her match against Dementieva. I'm assuming oh. I'm <laughs> Oh, man. That's 2009, though. Karen and I have the same memo, apparently. Yeah, you and Karen have yeah. the same 2009 <laughs> orientation because for her, it was Fed winning French Open. And then it was also for Venus <laughs> winning the year in championship for the first time in her career. <laughs> That's 2009. Exactly. It was all 2009. 2009 was Karen's best year. <laughs> <laughs> It's okay. Yeah, it's all been very, very great. It's been really fun to just contemplate the journey of tennis in this fashion. Um, not necessarily match per se, but almost a little bit like how Reels was doing it, thinking about the sweep of the decade. Yeah. Um, and you're right. We had, we had Kath tweet <laughs> at Kath Loves Tennis. Um, her number one moment was Black Girl Magic. We're all kind of on the same page there. I mean, I think we've been needing it. I we think. are the better of tennis podcast. Quality, well, you quality shots. Quality <laughs> shots. Well, well, I mean, quality shots. Mitch is. It's like it's like comparing it to Novak. You might have won more. But <laughs> were you better? But we're better. We remember everything that we do. Um, I mean, well, and it's Christmas time. It's Christmas time. What's your favorite yeah. Christmas song? I have one. <laughs> oh God! Please let it not be Mariah Carey. Oh no! Please not be singing it. Oh, I'm not gonna sing it. Oh my god! We we did say that we were we were gonna round this out with our okay. Christmas wish for the next year. Yes. Tennis related. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. I have, because I thought I was putting out wishes out there for what I want. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, is it is it DMX's Rudolph the Red Nosed <laughs> <laughs> This is my favorite. What's your favorite? You can't hear it? Oh, yeah, I hear it. This Christmas. Oh. Okay. So my Christmas wish for tennis in 2020, I have two. You don't get two. No, I'm, I'm taking kidding. two. Okay. two I want a brand new fucking ATP winner. Amen! Amen! that I can really cheer for and like. Well, listen, at this point in time, I'd settle for just a newbie. Um, a new winner of a slam so that we can finally get this damn headline to be like, yes, the young ones have arrived. And actually, no, 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 no. I want that 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 lost generation to win a slam. Yeah, I would. I would love it. I would yeah. love it. I care. I'm more feast, a song. So would I. I would love you it. know that last generation. They that can't go out like that because at the rate Federer going, they're gonna retire before Federer. No, I want a lost gen. I want a lost gen. And we don't want any more Carl Malone's and, and, and Charles Barkley in the in ATP. Come on now. I cannot. What's your second wish? And my second wish is I'm hoping for a really fun um Olympic surprise. Mm. I'm I, I have tickets for the bronze medal match, so I'm hoping I see somebody. Wait, 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 wait. Time she out. She going to Japan? Oh, Japan? <laughs> I have two. Listen, I told you all. I put down and I bid and I got two tickets for the Olympics. The second round <laughs> and the Olympics bronze medal match. So that's it. I would like to have damn internet there. I know. I don't know what the heck's gonna happen. Um, it's already too expensive, so I'm not sure how that's all gonna be it. Um, but yes, I'd like lost. I love that. I'd like a lost generation or to win. It would do my heart so good if it's not a next genner. I would absolutely adore that. Well, Sasha, okay. so you'll have to endure um or dragon you for another year. <laughs> 2021 could be your year. Sasha. Listen, I need Katie Shakori to not play any tennis so that he's healthy for the Olympics oh God. and he can go in there if he and win in Tokyo. Yeah, oh my gosh, that would How be amazing. Not winning a slam. At least get the bronze medal, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. He needs to go. He needs to go. <laughs> Mofis, get into the bronze medal match at least. Somebody <laughs> I like, please. Yeah. Uh, Mofis, get the silver. Let it be Kay and 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 um. Because that was what the U.S. Open Finals was supposed to be until Murphy's lost his way. I know. <laughs> forgot what the fuck he was doing on Code and left for the rest of that match from him. I know. Oh, that might have been a good match too. Then I right, what you, Do you have another have had to deal with Yeah. Was there another one, Andrew? Oh no, it was that. I just. Yeah, too. I, I need. I need a good. Oh, a new winner and yeah, a, a good. A new Olympics. Good Olympic okay. and a good Olympic. Reels, do you have a Christmas wish? Um. As Venus is going to retire, oh. I don't know how she's going to retire, if she's going to continue playing tennis, because I haven't seen that woman on any anyway tennis court. I've seen Serena on a tennis court. But um, I'm always wanting Federer and Venus to win, so that's not really a wish. That's just my prayer. But my wish, I guess, is for tennis coverage to oh, be... Oh, I know... Okay, something fun then. Oh, oh shit. I'm oh, sorry. Nick Curios 
get to the second week of all four majors. Oh, good luck with that. I'm sorry, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I say that out loud. <laughs> and Coco. Black girl magic. Black girl magic. You know, I'm going for the black woman. Black right. girl magic next year. 2020 should be black girl magic. My Christmas wish for tennis next year is for um, black girl dominance. Oh, God. It is. <laughs> I want in. <laughs> Listen, I want I want them to win everything. And I'm letting I'm going to let the black girl magic um, fly over into the ATP because I want a new slam winner as well. So my wish for, you know, WTA is some black girl magic. Um, just keep getting better and do all the damn things. And the ATP, get your fucking ass together. And you know what? If you're not going to get your ass together, then Federer quit fucking teasing us and get another goddamn Grand Slam. <laughs> but really, I just want someone new. But if it's not going to be someone new, you know, Federer, just come on, man. Stop squandering away match points. Oh, Lord. <laughs> You know what? That should have been the thing about a decade, but I don't like pain. I don't like pain. I don't, you know what? I didn't find it, though, because you know what? To be honest, Nole has been the player of the decade. So Nole. it's like, you know. Thank you, Andre. Oh, I think the lovely drama girl is right. WTA Press, don't diminish Coco. I see it coming with some of these underhanded remarks on social media. I get you, lovely drama girl. We see it. So I just need a positive light around Coco because you know they come for you once. They come for you. They That's build it, man. You. They build you so they got to break you down, unlike Maria. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, y'all. Thank you all for showing up for three hours in the middle of your Sunday. Yes. And I know for those who have been listening to us on the repeat and downloading to us on your travels and whatever, I think this is long enough to take you to DC or someplace like that. You can fast forward the first half hour. We're just running our mouths. Um, and that's what they that's what they came for that <laughs> we're giving them what they want so oh, thank you gosh. fans for being with us we have been on the air since 2015 wow. and since the second episode, these women have been with me and they have stuck with me they're my longest relationship mm. and <laughs> they're my best relationship and because it's no sex <laughs> <laughs> it's not complicated enough. Orgasms <laughs> of the mind. Orgasms of the mind. I know. <laughs> Intellectual <laughs> stimulation. <laughs> you know, on a lot of dating apps, I'm seeing it's uh, sapiosexual. What the fuck is that? Get out of here with that shit. You trying to fuck Einstein? Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, happy holidays for you all, whatever you celebrate. If you are not, you know, just try to. I'm on the fucking naughty list and you know it. Whether it's blood family or friendships, you know, don't let anyone belittle you. Enjoy yourself, love yourself, treat yourself. Yes, yes. you know treat yourself. Order a calendar from tenniswatchers.com. Yes, you can, but skip January. <laughs> you know how that is. Skip January. We tease, but January does look good. So thank you all for being with us again. And there might be there might be a can promise you there might be little nuggets thrown along here podcast just to. Keep you honest, you know, and just to let you know, you know, Federer pops up in places. He might pop up in places still. <laughs> and for the New Year's, give us some suggestions what you would like us to do. We are open to suggestions. Um, Janina might forget them all and, you know, not table them on the agenda. But, you know, <laughs> you would have it. So. so thank you all for joining us and have a good evening. And last but not least, 
happy birthday again, Andrine. Happy birthday. birthday. And I know it's some birthday out there. So in December birthday, people have a wonderful time and demand a separate birthday gift from a Christmas gift. Don't let those motherfuckers <laughs> jiff you. Don't let right. them jiff you. <laughs> that is trash, okay? It's trash. It's been a great decade, y'all. Let's see what the next one brings for us. Hmm. No, Pablo, we're not doing any naked podcast. Can I meet you in person, Pablo, if you're trying to get naked pictures for me? Ah! No, no. <laughs> All right. Good night. Good night, everyone. Thank you. Good night. <laughs>